Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to Raising the Vibration with Sheena Metal only on LA Talk Radio. It's Raising the Vibration right here on LA Talk Radio, and I am your host, Sheena Metal. Uh, we're at Raising the Vibration Radio. We're also at LA Talk Radio uh, everywhere. I'm on social media at Sheena Metal. And of course, the new movement of peace, love, kindness, and unity that was the inspiration for Raising the Vibration Radio. It's called I Am Raising the Vibration of the Nation and the World. We're at I Am Raising the Vibration.com. Every week on the show, uh, I have a guest that uh, not only do I love and respect as a person and love as a friend, but also that is really always doing something for the world and continually asking, what can I do to make the world a better place? And my guest all this show is absolutely no exception. She is a wonderfully talented actress and artist and writer and author. Uh, she's also a humanist and volunteers her time in many different directions, was very active in the world of uh, HIV AIDS back in the beginning when no celebrities were uh, getting involved in that. And it's interesting that I have her on the show today of all days when uh, they're debuting the the miniseries When We Rise Tonight about just that. There are no accidents, my friends. Also uh, very involved in child protection and uh, uh, works for protect.org as a spokesperson. The wonderful Allison Arngram is here. I could just introduce you for like two hours. My intro could be the whole show. But then there would be no show. Because I did so many things. Because you have really devoted your life to, you understand the idea of, and I talk about this on the show all the time, uh, being in service. I do. I I talk about not being a waste of oxygen. Yeah, that you're here to serve the world and that it's okay to serve the world and also have a wonderful life. I think some people think if you're serving the world, then you're Mother Teresa and you're penniless and there's lepers everywhere. You can have a wonderful life and have everything in the world and still spend your time in service. I find I'm having more fun if what I'm doing has purpose, is benefiting somebody in a way. It's more fun. If I'm just doing something because, well, this needs to be done or I'm doing this to get paid, I find that becomes drudgery. Yeah, I agree. And I get very bored. If I'm doing something and, well, this is sort of fun and it's music. Oh, but if you do this, this will happen. This will happen. It will help the following people, communities, animals. But I'm like, well, it makes it much more interesting to me. And I find that doing things that might be boring to some people, but they help other people, I find far more exciting and interesting to do and less boring use of my time than many things people find amusing. I, and I completely agree. I, I think that there's something about that connection to God, the universe, source, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, knowing that you have a purpose and that you are doing things for that purpose. Now, I, I'm not saying as artists we don't have a purpose because that's a different kind of purpose. Right. But it serves, uh, it, it has its, its own purpose, it, which is right. helping people in its own way. Changing yeah. the world through art and through humor is a wonderful thing, and you do that as well. But I also think there's something about really lending your voice to the mm-hmm. pool of voices. And there's the very basic thing, because people say, well, now people, these entertainers, they are full of ourselves saying that, you know, oh, we're helping the world performance. It goes back to even the most basic, basic, basic drive. My, my father used to say that it was good that I was going into comedy because he, you know, he, I, as we talked about him being a baby in the Depression, he right. said in the Great Depression, what did well? Well, movies and vaudeville and entertainment. Absolutely. Because people needed desperately to be entertained. They were unhappy. Things were bad. And what they really liked was to laugh. The comedies did well. The comedies and the musicals and Shirley Temple, all of that went well because people wanted to be happy and they wanted to laugh. And if you can make people laugh and you can make them happy, even if you're not 
okay, if you, you want to get picky and say, well, as an artist, am I doing something that's great art? Am I doing something that's politically or socially important film, blah, blah. Oh, well, how are you? You're helping the planet and the country and you're important because you're just making stupid comedies. Uh, That stupid comedy might be really, really important to the person who came to see it. You don't know what people are going through. There are people where, and especially if times are hard economically, politically, people need to laugh. They need to relax. Absolutely. And even if you're saying, well, what are you, you like the court jester? Yeah, well, the court jester kept a lot of damn people alive. Yeah, that's, and that's kept the king happy so people stayed king, alive. Court jester was, that, that king, it was important enough that kings made sure they had a court jester. Sometimes, yes, amusing people and making them laugh is an enormously important function in society and really is a good thing, and you want that. And even if that's all you do, let alone make important pictures or write books that say something, maybe you are just making people laugh, but you know that's a really good thing to be doing. I agree. I agree. It's absolutely important thing to be doing. Well, and I think that's something else that we have to think about, that yes, we should... Uh, well, maybe not. Everybody has their own purpose, but for me, um, and when I found that I am raising the vibration of the nation and the world, it, it was about everybody has their part to play. And sure, are there people that their thing is they need to yell and scream and create performance art where they burn flags? And that's that's not me. That's or not my go purpose. Go to highways where you bleed on stage. Right, exactly. No, or no, no, or no, no, lay no, down no, in okay. front of tanks. I mean, those people are important too, but that's... That's not my thing. You have to find what your thing is. And and my thing is to um, support the world through positivity. And for some people, the negative message really hits home. For me, the positive message hits home. So right. it's important for me to... To, uh, to to be positive and to put positive. And that's the thing about comedies. You can say what you want about them. Yes, they're not gut-wrenching. Yes, maybe they don't change the world in the same way. But some there are some people who get the message better when it's told through humor. And and the thing is, is that, okay, there are times when, yes, to state your case and to be angry and state the truth or to have a negative thing that you have to impart to somebody, go, hey, this isn't working. But... To, when there's just like a wave of negativity in general and people just being kind of complaining and bitching about crap all the time um, to kind of counter that that there's a space where people are not bitching and moaning 24-7 yes. and are like well you know I, I like Halle Berry's hair what the hell um, that you kind of like are enjoying life and finding the positive about things being Grateful. One of the greatest things you can have is gratitude. Absolutely. One of the most positive emotions you can have is gratitude. One of the biggest uh, things you can do to fight depression is be grateful for things. Right. One of the first things they make you do, I mean, you have so many guests who are in 12-step programs. You know, one of the first things people make you do in any 12-step program are gratitude lists. Absolutely. And they, an attitude of gratitude is like well, a big 12-step but, but there's slogan. something to be said for that. I mean, they even say, even in the paranormal world, which I work in, if you have a dark entity in your house... The Ooh. best way, to, one of the best ways to get rid of it is put on the happiest music that you can think of loud and sing. That annoy the hell because out of Because positivity <laughs> and negativity can't live in the same place at so the same time. So that's why I'm not having so much of the haunty thing. That's why, because you're a happy person and I'm your not, house has happiness and you have a happy marriage and happy coming. cats. No. And, it's to, and Well, okay, so the guy from TMZ jumps out on the thing as I'm heading into the big Oscar party last night. And some people are like, oh God, it's a TMZ. Well, first of all, I love TMZ. I know it's a crazy thing to say. I love TMZ. I have like the app on my phone. And I, I check the TMZ. I, I, you know, when I'm checking news online and I'm checking like KTM, LA and CNN and Google. I checked TMZ. Sometimes they're out there first with the news 
and maybe they go, well, we don't know if this is exactly got all the facts straight, but it's the, we're going to They tell you, the guy who runs it's a lawyer. He goes, okay, we don't have the whole story yet, but here's what it looks like, who died and what happened. And oddly, a lot of what they say on TMZ is in fact true because he is a lawyer and he checks his stuff and makes sure what he can and can't say. And they actually, I know a lot of celebrities are like, oh, I'm hiding from TMZ. And I go, honey, you're over 40. TMZ is not looking for you. Go on TMZ. Half of TMZ, they're athletes, rappers, reality stars, and supermodels. Are you one of these four people? No, you are not. Okay, and if you're over 40, they said I don't care. So TMZ <sighs> is not camped in front of my house. I'm too damn old. Yeah. They talk about people in their 30s as being old people. So unless you're you're 22 in a bikini, TMZ ain't following you nowhere. So people will go, TMZ's after me. Not bloody likely, Grandma. Um, so I know TMZ has its place, but I enjoy a lot of the stuff they talk about on TMZ. It's very funny. And, and I find out things. I go, well, you know, and, and then I can check, go, okay, I'll get the details on the rest of this story later, but I'll get the headline from TMZ. TMZ jumps out. I never mind TMZ because I always have something to say to them. If you're nice to them, they're kind of like, oh, you're funny. Okay. I, they've never said anything bad about me on TMZ. Cause I, and this guy came up and he's like, Oh, hi. And I said, I said, now you got to give me a minute because I had to get my coat off and get my, I said, let me get the coat off. Now you get a good picture. And he's like, oh, okay. And then I talked and he said, um, what do you want to, a hundred years from now, how do you want to be remembered? Every now and then they have, okay, that's a great question. So like, this is TMZ and this is what they're asking. And I said, honestly, wow, that's a good question. I said, well, she played the most terrible, awful, awful person on TV, but I was like the nicest person ever in person. And he laughed, and then he said, oh, so you're saying you're a great actress. And I laughed and said, oh, didn't you already know that? Um, but it's true. I, I am, I've had so many people say, well, you're so much nicer than your character. And I go, okay, well, first of all, that's not a stretch. I played a really terrible, objectionable person. If I'm not nicer than that, I have a problem. But it's not just that you're nicer than Nellie Olson from Little House on the Prairie, because you could say that about 95% of the population. I could say that about a rock. But I mean, even compared <laughs> to really nice people, you're a really nice person. Thank like you. you're up there in the top 5% of nice <laughs> when she was in the 5% of not nice. So you're almost like so opposite that you're almost all the way back around again. I mean, I think that you, and I don't think that it's anything that's an effort for you. I think it's just organically who you are. I I kind of actually like people. Um, I know there's people, and they say they're misanthropic. There are people who actually don't like people. They are annoyed by other humans. They just don't like them. I generally like them. It's not that I never find some people annoying. I find lots of people totally annoying. And some days... I have a headache. It's like, you're all annoying, okay? Oh, everybody's annoying. Yeah. I um, find people to be, uh, more than I find them to be annoying, I find them to be, Allison, energetically draining. Oh, there's those Sometimes people. it's oh. hard. And I've noticed the last couple months as I've been going through this thing with my heart that right. sometimes I can only be around people for so long. Yes. Or I start to feel them actually draining my health. Now, last night, we, I was at an Oscar party that you normally go to at a mutual friends of ours have it. Um, it was lovely. I stayed the whole night. I felt great. But Perfect. there are times when I go somewhere place for uh, planning to stay I stay like 45 minutes and I suddenly start to feel very tired I'm like I gotta go home there's draining happening here. oh there are certain events and certain places and certain people where yeah. I go wow great in small doses Yes, and it's exactly. like you know, if I go there for an hour, it'll be great. And if I'm there two hours, I will want to pull my head off. And, yeah. and there's people I know. Oh, he's so funny for like an hour, and then I'm like, I have to go now. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And it's they're not bad people. It's just their energy is a certain yes. way that if I'm not in the right mood, it's like I can only handle this particular. You're too high, too low, too whatever that for that period of time. But I like people generally, and I kind of take people as they are where they're at 
I have friends and acquaintances where there's people like, well, isn't so and so really weird or crazy? And it's like, yes, and that's one of their better qualities. I agree. Like, I like that about I, them. I love eccentricity, <laughs> and weird and crazy is great as long as there's not a, an amount of toxicity that comes yeah, with it. Yeah, if you're not blatantly toxic. But there's people, and, and there's people I've talked to, and I have friends that go, wow, you talk to them. Wow, you're more patient than I am. I want to go, no, no, they're cool. They weren't like directly attacking me, they weren't being toxic. They're just weird. And yeah. I'm like, well, I like their particular weird. I don't mind that people are different. I don't mind even when people have really different ways of expressing themselves. I don't either. I don't either. I'm kind of like, well, all right, that's his, okay. And I don't know. I have this thing in my head where people say and do things all the time, and I kind of tilt my head like a cocker span and go... You know, I, I I wouldn't do that. I don't I don't know how that works. I couldn't get into that. I wouldn't. That is a thing that would not appeal to me that I would never do in a million years. But okay, you do that. Well, I guess you yeah. do then. All right. But I think there's something Woo-hoo. about you. There's almost like a universal understanding to you. Yes. And I've known you now for a little a over seven. Y- oh, oh my almost, god. A little it's over been, seven years. It's been seven years. Yeah, <gasps> a little over seven years. It's funny because I'm having a um you know my birthday party uh for my big one at the Hollywood Improv oh, and I was one. thinking Am that I, I don't only I don't only remember your big one. I remember your one leading up to the big one. Um with the with the minor 49ers. 49ers. I remember that on your cake. 49ers. Thought, yes. God, we've known each other a long time. Because that seems so far away from me at the time. Dude, um, I didn't ha- I didn't have a party this year because I was in Mexico. I went to I brunch. know you have to I have didn't make, no I didn't make brunch. I got sick and I didn't go to the brunch they threw me. I did go to dinner on my actual birthday. Me and my friend Brian went to, to Elizabeth Taylor's house to Cassie Kimberly. It was great. It's amazing. Go. Um but I didn't I didn't have a party and then I got back and then there was stuff to do and then I was sick and then so I need to have a birthday party. You need to have a makeup. Because it's, it's going to be like freaking March or something. Yes. And you need to come to mine. Because actually on my actual birthday, when does that ever happen that you get the Hollywood Improv? It's my 50th. Oh, I was going to say, because I was going to say, I, I left that in the dust. It's my I, 50th, yeah, and okay. I was at your 50th, and your yes. 49th. And my 49th. So we've known each other for a really, really long time. Jesus, yes. And, uh, well, I mean, it's not long in the history of our lives, but it's almost a decade. It's getting there. It's Hollywood. It's longer than many marriages. It's long. And, and I don't know if you remember this. I'm taking a little side journey, but <laughs> I actually met you. We when you did your AIDS cable access show. Oh my God! When I was doing you used AIDS to do vision. it before my show, and my people were coming in, were and you your people in were down leaving there in Santa Monica. In Santa no, no, Monica. the one in the valley. Oh, the one in the, the valley. Because I was in Santa Monica almost all the time, but once in a while, the one out in I the valley. Out to and I used to follow you when you were out there. I was based there in the valley. I was always in Santa Monica with Steve Ang and all those guys. Yeah. But I did, I did like other people's shows or did things where we had to go to the valley. when you had like kind of things. a long bob and dress, long, very preppy. Yes. I wore little suits. You did. Wore suits you wore little suits. And heels and hose. Heels and it was and your show. And, and then it was little, my outrageous rock and roll show where everyone wore costumes. And the little bob. I was so, I was very proper. And then after me was the neo Nazis. And that was their Saturday afternoon program. Wow. AIDS, rock and roll, and neo-Nazis. But I imagine, I remember even then thinking that there was something so wonderful about you and the way that you... The way that you spoke about AIDS and HIV, not in a not in a self righteous way, not in a super angry activism way, not in a I'm educating you because I know everything way, but just sort of as a citizen of the world. And that brings me to what I was going to say that there's a there's a universalism about you that I, I think makes it easy for you to communicate with and enjoy the company of and love and associate with all different kinds of people because you yourself seem to be almost like you have like you your vibration has risen above being categorized by boxes 
Yeah, I don't. I, and there's so many categories where I'm not. No, I guess that's the thing. When well, because there's so many categories I could be in as an ex-child star, and you are, but you're not. You're not I was living for as the a box. kid, right? And, oh, and I'm blonde. I'm blonde and blue-eyed and right. white and a bimbo. And I. So I they would have loved you on the neo-Nazi show. Yeah, right. I could have been a Nazi. And 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 when I was in my twenties, was all bikinis and boobs. I, I, I was a bimbo. I was a, so there's lots of boxes I could have been in, and I was always kind of like, well, yeah, but no, sort of. I'm yeah, and I was never quite one thing and I never said well I'm just going to be this thing and do that so I was never quite in a box and and I was always different and well and you know well obviously my wacky parents with all that you know okay I I cook but I don't cook because I'm a girl okay there was I got a google I got a google alert yesterday that someone did an article in salon I gotta go check an article and it was about women in film and TV and how they're portrayed about cooking and the cliches of women cooking and women wives are expected to cook and the good women cook and one of the things is the bad women oh they can't cook or the comedy the Lucy character who her thing is oh dear the poor thing can't cook and I we came up because well oh you know Nellie couldn't cook and Laura came and did the thing with the cayenne pepper well I cook in real life but because my father taught me my father did all the cooking. My mother couldn't cook. My father cooked. And he was a gourmet cook, and he could make anything. We grew up on the farm. And he taught me to cook, and I took home it. So I'm a great cook, and I love to cook, but I don't consider it a housewifey women thing to do because my image is of a man cooking. Yeah. So I'm all, you know, I've always been like, well, and my mom did don't apply. all the bills, all the taxes. Yeah. My father never went anywhere near the taxes. Yeah, he basically went and played that. Peter Pan, sent a paycheck home. My mom handled everything. Yep. And uh, uh, he didn't even know until he was retired and she broke her back and he was grocery shopping for the first time. He didn't know how to use an ATM. And oh, he, was an, he was an engineer. And he didn't know oh, how to use an ATM. Are like that. That's a so, cookie engineer thing yeah, where they only know one thing. They're exactly. Like, professor. Yeah. Right. He only knew <laughs> just the one thing. So... Um, you know, it it uh, the the gender roles, and I can tell that you weren't raised with traditional gender roles sure. either, no. because you don't have that either. But not in a kind of a weird self righteous, I'm a feminist and I'm going to burn my bra and I hate men kind of way, but just in kind of a natural organic thing that there is something, and I've never talked about this on this show before, Ooh, that there is something vibrationally once you get up there that is bigger than gender and ethnicity and what you do for a living and where you live regionalism you just become this a human that's interested in connecting in any way with other entities on the earth that can be not always human even in the late 60s and early 70s people started wearing their bras i remember my mother going well i don't know my mother never wore a bra she said i don't know what to do i don't wear one Oh, that's fantastic. She never wore one. I mean, she sometimes for auditions or certain things, well, you have to wear a bra with this dress or this role. It's, oh, okay. But in like her regular life bra, why would I wear a bra? Yeah. <laughs> she just, it was like, oh, I guess, they're, yeah. She, the whole thing was lost on her, the entire thing. Well, and my mom was like, look, I need a bra no matter what, because I have pendulous breasts. So uh, it's all well and good to be proud. Yeah, go women, equality, yay. But I'm keeping my bra. She was very slim and had like small boobs till she got older. And then after, and then she had, she had, I always thought she had big boobs, but she tended to not wear a bra. They So she rarely, rarely wore a bra unless like she had to. So, but that wasn't her thing. She just did bras. Like, she was sort of and and clothing and makeup was all sort of lost on her as an actress she knew that oh for this I have to go wear this and I have to put on this makeup but she had to have somebody like do her makeup and I actually taught her to do makeup at one point my father really bought all her clothes her dressy ones they'd go out shopping he picked stuff out because yeah she put on like you know some jeans and a plaid shirt she didn't care 
Yeah. She just didn't get. She was like, yeah. well, what? I mean, well, she was Canadian. And she came from a wealthy family, but she was also kind of earthy, crunchy, and played lacrosse at girls' school. You know what? My this sounds camping. just like my mother. My mother was she didn't like camping because she didn't like the outdoors. But uh, I was surprised when she first showed me all her yearbooks. I'm like, you played soccer and lacrosse and which softball. Girls did back yeah, then. Yeah, girls no. in boarding school. She was well, also yes. from a wealthy family. She, she went to Prince of Wales yes. and York House, and you played lacrosse and wore plaid right. skirts. And my mom went to Northampton School for Girls, which at the time my mother was, was sporty and outdoors. And then she was day. sporty yes. and sporty. and artsy and sporty and kind sporty. of granola. And I don't think she ever would have categorized herself like that. I but mean, I was wasn't. Mom, yeah, it was almost like preppy, preppy, sporty, outdoorsy. Yeah, but I was not was really raised. Really and I was, I was not raised that I couldn't, don't leave the house without lipstick. I mean, I wasn't. Right, right, my mom, too, when she went places, she would put the lipstick on. Okay, the, my father would try to get me to not leave the house without lipstick. Oh my God, but that's like, yeah, that would be, yeah. He was more the, are you not going to wear that, are you? That's one of my, we have a list of things my father said. It's like, you know, the shit my dad said. It's like shit my dad said first. Um, one of my father's famous lessons, you're not, you're not going to wear that, are you? It was the, where are you going in that oh. outfit, basically. It's like, well, it's, it's, it's rat ass. If something was frayed or didn't look new or wasn't ironed. <gasps> yeah. Um, uh, but do you think that was, because yeah. we talked about this, we talked about this before, and we talked about it earlier when you were on my Daily Show, him growing up so poor. Oh, my God, yeah, because he was in an orphanage and starving and then on a farm, but then you had... Right, because, and my yeah, mom went yes. from very poor to the orphanage to getting adopted by very wealthy people. And my mother was very rich growing up. She was Nellie Olson and then ran away and became an actress. So, right. yeah, so it, that's like she didn't care because, like, she had a cook and a maid and it was like, well, someone will iron this. And then she got my father who would iron it. So, um, whereas <laughs> my father was like... You might only have one pair of pants. Right. So, My mom yeah. did have that. She did have the buy the most expensive coat and then keep it forever. Yeah, yeah. But it was smart. I still have coats I've kept forever, and they're still wonderful. So. And my father told me, which is already, they were back in Canada's retired. He said he was cleaning out his closet, and he said, you know, I finally I felt really silly cleaning out the closet. There were these four pairs of pants. I don't know when I wore them last. Talk about out of fashion. And one of them even had, like, coals in them. But I was keeping them. And he said, I finally got rid of them. I, I do, they didn't fit. He said, long, the long past fitting and totally not in style. I was keeping them just in case. You know, because if I yeah. got poor again, I would need to wear those pants. Yeah. And he said, and then I looked at them and said, you know, if I was starving to death, I wouldn't wear those damn pants. I mean, right. seriously, look but at that. But that was that depression era mentality. It took them a while to get rid of them, yeah. But there was something I liked about that. You know, I have a neighbor, and I've been telling this story a lot lately. I don't know her. I see her when I walk at night through my complex. I live in a gated place, so I walk at night because it's safe. Um, every time I pass her place... There is, you know, uh, half her garage full of garbage she's oh, put out, keep things, and it's all know. brand new things. I mean, it's baby strollers, it's a brand new easel, it's paintings. It's, it's, sometimes the just in case it's gets a computer, it's, it's away from us. Yeah, but I'm no, no, no. I mean, she throws this, she throws this away every week, oh, and I no. keep thinking, isn't there, oh, no. isn't there some place where people could use all this? Like isn't down there the street, okay. A kid that can't afford an easel that would like a brand new easel. We I mean, have so little garbage. Sometimes we don't take the cans down to the street at our house because, first of all. I mean, we do a big. There's always more in our recycling can than our garbage can, which is it's how it should be. And then sometimes we just, even though there's two of us, a whole week goes by, we don't fill the can because we don't. The junk we have, and when we have stuff, it's like, oh, good lord! And the closet gets cleaned out, the garage gets cleaned out. It's like, oh my god, why we're keeping this? No, that goes in a box, goes in the trunk of the car, and goes down the street because there is a lovely, beautiful thrift shop. Yes, that helps people. In fact, I believe they help one of the AIDS foundations in the was a catalyst, and then they also there's a lot of people who are mm, homeless semi-homeless not 
have a lot of money who work there and are able to work there and it's really useful for them not to mention all of the people who are elderly or fixed income or young and poor yeah. who can buy stuff there really good prices and they have senior day and stuff where they have even lower prices and specials anything in the house that it's like i use it it goes straight there. i feel the and same you get way a little tax receipt you get a thing yep but it's out of my house and then it's not waste. It's not in the garbage, but it's out of my house because I go, I'm not going to wear this. I'm not going to use this. I'm crazy. I'm not keeping this. It's ridiculous. But it goes there and it gets sold and the money gets used for a purpose. But also somebody who isn't going to the store and is going, I'm a little short this week and I need a dress or a thing or a piece of furniture, yeah. whatever, they can go get it and they can use it. And they'll go, this is great. I don't have this. I need this. I, I, you know, when I was um, when I was in high school... Uh, in Huntington Beach, I had friends who couldn't afford prom dresses, and they went to Goodwill and got prom dresses. I mean, what are you going to do? I just found all my prom dresses, and I'm like, okay, there's like one in the group that I would wear if I could fit into it. The rest of them, I yeah, mean, no, and well, but and somebody then, will love it. Bob and I are terrible because when we go to the thrift store, then we go into the thrift store and, and buy more we're suckers of the glassware. They have this glassware, and, oh, and we yeah. cannot get out of the store. Like, oh, we just bought four. We only bought four this time, and we wind up buying a bunch of stuff because they have like amazing things at this place, and I love thrift store. So, yeah. But that's the thing is I I don't waste stuff. We don't yeah. we're not horribly wasteful and I just think the energy of wasting weird. is not I've never understood people that, you know, oh I buy a bunch of food and then oh I don't want this and I just throw it all mm-hmm. out and I mean, it's just just don't we, buy what we you feel don't bad. need. We sometimes will buy food and we go, oh, that celery's not. We we bought too much celery and it's not going to keep. And I feel bad. So you know, we try to we try to restrain ourselves. But I try to buy things that are going to keep, or I freeze them. I freeze things. And I just started doing this thing where I freeze fruit. You can because then you throw it in uh, the blender to make smoothies. And you yeah. don't have to have ice. Oh, bananas. And, and the whole thing, oh, the bananas are brown. Great. Banana bread. Okay, first of all, they go in the freezer. You peel the bloody banana, you put it in a bag, you put it in the freezer. It's great. And yeah. then you got drinks. You got and then you've got something to so, make yeah. a smoothie. I, I, yeah. I, I, and that, that's definitely my father. So he was always like, you know, he he had the jar with the, 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 the coffee can with the bacon grease on the stove. Oh, he really? Real depression era. Don't oh, that's hardcore. Thing. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm not quite that bananas. But yeah, um... I don't believe in wasting things. And there you go. It's a, does Can this serve a function? Does what I'm doing help me and other people? And then literally when I go to throw something away, it's like, well, can I? how can this not be taking up space or wasting or trashing something? And like I talk about, it's like I, I don't... I don't want my life to be like a waste of oxygen. What am I doing that is just kind of generally moving everybody slightly forward and making things less miserable for people in general? Yeah. And and I don't see the point of going around making people miserable. There are people, and I've played them on TV, who like making people miserable as yes. a sport or a hobby or something. And I don't get that. Um it takes energy and exert. you have to exert yourself to say and do things to hurt people and upset them and make them miserable. And I think that almost takes more work than saying or doing something that might make them feel good about themselves or be happy. I agree. I completely agree. So I'm like, why? <laughs> why would I do that? Yes, I, I agree. Yeah. So important. So since we're here and we're, yes. and we're talking, this is your first time on Raising the Vibration. How, um, many, how many of these have you done? This is the new show. This is my, uh, tonight is my eighth. Oh, heavens to Betsy. Good. I'm here. Yes. Um, is that right? Yes. Tonight is yes, my eighth. eighth. Good. Um, so it's the end of two months. Wow. It will start three months next week. Have we gotten this vibration up a bit? I would think. I, I think so. Well, and the, the movement is now um, uh, uh, six, 1650 strong, 1650 strong. Hey. And I always tell the story that it, although that seems like a little to start with, um, I have 
about 6,000 on my official page, my verified page on Facebook, but it's taken me eight years to build that up. This is at 1650, and it's been not even three months. Nice. So it really is so it's working. Building people want the, it. Yeah, they a little over this. three they months. They like this. Building this in a beautiful... Well, people, I think, are, are, are hungry for something that's positive. Okay. Um, I'm going down a little bit. Gratitude. Um, smiling. There's all the... Okay, your face. If you're, you're going to get old, you're going to wrinkle. It's not going to happen. But if you're smiling and laughing, those lines are going to be in a better place. The people where they're yes. frowning the thing, the happy they get the eye, lines, yeah. and then you're like, eh. At least if you're wrinkled, but you get the smiley lines, you look a hell of a lot better in the nursing home. Because Grandma was right. If you frowned all the time, your face did stay that way. It will stay that way. And my Auntie Marion used to say things about that, you know, um, it'll show in your face. If you're a nice yeah. person, you're nice to people. It does, but I agree it does. Show, and people that are miserable and bitchy and selfish and terrible. Oh, so sad about that girl. It's going to show in her face. And so, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I know people that, that have looked at pictures of you and then looked up how old you are <laughs> and then looked at me and said, that can't possibly be right. And I just right? kind of shrug and say, she's happy. She's a happy person. Yes, it really helps. And, really and also helps. we have good Irish genes, I'm good Celtic genes. We can't forget about that. Celts I, age well. I moisturize so much, I practically butter my face. I just, yeah. it's, yes. And I moisturizer, moisturizer, God, anything. All and, of us. And we're not, abu- we're not, we're not, uh, you know, um, Do cracked tan? up. We don't or, tan. We don't tan. We don't tan. Do sun, so. We don't tan. We don't smoke. Don't smoke. Don't smoke. I don't, I, I lack the brain receptors that process cocaine, saving me millions. Right. So, yeah. I and we don't, we're not on prescription drugs. Drugs and cigarettes and sun yeah. and booze. I don't even drink. I don't even drink coffee you really drink i love i coffee. quit caffeine last year i i, I do love the coffee yeah. love the i just coffee. eat fish now and pout mm. boy i sure look young so but you, uh, you look but you do you look amazing and and yeah and that's the thing yeah i don't go in the sun but it is also having a decent attitude yes you walk so around important. going arr, arr, yeah. i'm miserable that'll age the shit out of you i completely agree yep. So since it's your first time on the show, mm-hmm. uh, tell my listeners a little bit about how you got involved with HIV and AIDS, because we okay. have to talk about that. Well, so once upon a time, yes, I was on Little House in the Prairie, hello, and I was the evil Nellie Olson. And um, if you watch the show, you remember that um, eventually I stopped being evil because I married Percival, the wonderful Percival Dalton, who turned out to really be Isaiah Cohen. Oh, no, he's Jewish, as Mrs. Olson shrieked. Um, he comes and marries me, and it's like Taming of the Shrew, and I get nice, and he teaches me to cook, and we live happily ever after. And we have twins, and we have a hotel. And it's great. Um, and Steve Tracy, who played Percival, was a wonderful, wonderful, really fun, fabulous person. And, and you two hit it off right away? Super friends. Because when you're married to someone on TV, either it's like the Bob Newhart show where he and Suzanne Plachette were like big buddies and it was like fabulous, or you like freaking hate each other. People who right. are actors who yes. are married on TV, they're either physically separating them between takes so they don't kill each other, or they're v- taking family vacations together with the two families yes. and hanging out in Hawaii. So it's it's one or the and other. And you pray you're, for the one and hope you right, don't have the other. Right, you're going to be freaking frack and you're going to wind up like doing projects together and it's going to be like, oh my TV wife, I love her. And you're gonna be, or it's going to be like, oh god, do I have to kiss them? And it's really, it's hard you don't know you don't know and it's you're a young kid on a series you don't get to pick the boyfriend or the husband you're the kid on the show they, they go you're getting married next week oh well it's like talk about an arranged marriage yeah and you're still gonna have to kiss them and hug them and lie in bed and scenes with them and say you love them so it's get rough so you're kind of going please just don't let them be awful <laughs> you know can they be a nice person and steve tracy shows up and he's adorable with freckles and curly hair and he's cute and he and even though he was a smoker at the time he always had the the breath spray so we 
had to kiss his oh. hands. He was very conscientious. About I, his I always thought he looked like somebody who should be starring in Godspell on Broadway. Right, and I think he did. I think he was one of those because he was he was totally college hippie. He was like he did. He totally looked like cast a road company of Godspell, very much so. And he was that kind of guy. He was a Kent State. He, he was totally hippie. Yeah, he had that beautiful kind of lovely seventies gentleness. Completely, he was. He was a good little hippie boy. And so we did. We were you know Melissa and I grilled him and interviewed him the day he showed up. Are you adjusting my thing? Oh, yeah. I was going to do it so secretly. Oh, yeah. But now we know. We do yeah. never know. All just, secrets are shared. Because I was like on top of it. I was too far away, and now I'm too close. Yeah. You were, it was in the right place, and it got moved towards you. Oh, and, and it's better. There we go. Well, and so, I just turned the mic up so you're still nice and loud. So he was adorable, and we hit it off. We liked all the same bands. And it was like, and literally, like, Melissa and I were like, is that him? Is that him? Each guy who came on the set, and then he showed up, and we cornered him. It was like... What's your favorite food? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite band? Do you like movies? What do you? And luckily, he he passed. He answered everything correctly, and so we began to hang out. And then um, fa- found out he was gay. Well, Melissa was suspicious. She goes, "His ears are pierced." I go, "Everybody's got a pierced ear." No, no, it's both of them. And then we cornered him, and he tried to tell us he pierced them a long time ago. And we were like, they grow back. You're so full of crap. You have pierced ears. Okay. And it was before everybody had pierced ears. We're like, hmm. But then when our first episode aired, he threw a party. I was not invited. I found out about it accidentally, and that was because he was it was pretty much all guys. He just okay. invited he was gay and and so we totally crashed his party and it was hilarious and I showed up and then he decided it was okay. And then we became really good friends and we kinda of were like almost like double dating because I was going out with a guy who completely did not like show business or want, he did not want to be on TMZ. He did not want to be in the red There was no TMZ then, but you got pepperazzi. He didn't want to be on the red carpet. He didn't want to go to nothing, didn't want his picture taken, was not into it. And at this time, it was the 70s, and it was pre, very pre-Ellen and Neil Patrick Harris. Oh, God, absolutely. And you did not say, oh, yeah, I'm the gay dude on Little House on right. the Prairie. Right, now cast me. Yeah. yeah not happening. I think Michael was quite aware he was gay, and we had other gay people on the show. We okay. had gay people on the crew, and Michael did not care. Nobody cared. We Isn't were, that wonderful? Because Michael Landon was kind of like, he's kind of a man's man. Yeah. That, that he didn't care that people were gay is very cool. He didn't care. We also had some of the first female grips and crew members when other crews were still all male. Oh, wow. We had some of the first African-American grips and crew members when crews were still all white. And so, yeah, Little House in the Prairie was like... Can you do the work? Get up that ladder. There you go. Well, I guess you're hired. So, yeah, it just nobody cared. And I mean, we, the whole thing where we had the black and white blind school with the integration and Keddie. That's right. Yes. Do, and people weren't doing that. So yeah, no, we were very forward. And um, so on Little House, nobody cared. Nobody cared on the set. And that's the thing. Usually in show business, in the circles you were in, even then, people go, "Oh yeah, so and so's gay." And nobody gave a flying one. It was. Your agent would say, no, we do not speak of this. And you didn't. You just didn't. And that's why when AIDS hit, that's why people also so freaked out. It hit at a time when, although there was all this gay liberation and people were talking about being gay in many circles, people in show business still said, hell to the no, I'm not gay, I'm not telling, like Rock Hudson and Liberace. And suddenly they all got sick, and it was like, everyone now knows, and in a horrible, negative, awful way, oh, you're dying, and now everybody knows the thing you didn't want to tell them. It was not pretty. It got ugly quick. Yeah. So, But but don't you think, and and then uh, far be it for me to say anything nice about AIDS, but, but don't you think that even though all so many people died and it was such a horrible plague... 
it also brought it out of the closet a little bit more, and it helped people farther down the road to be honest about who they were. Well, it did a whole thing. The gay movement was, you know, on, a lot of people say, well, it kind of slowed down the marriage thing because they were working towards marriage, and then it was like, whoa, hey, we have bigger fish to fry. But it also sped that up in a way. On the one hand, suddenly things like health care uh, and not and being not being discriminated against because people with AIDS were sick and were getting thrown out of their apartments and fired from their jobs. Yeah. So suddenly getting that declared a handicap, an actual a you know a disability act thing, so that you couldn't get thrown out of your house and that people were being discriminated against. Getting that changed became important. And then medically being able to you know, go into intensive care. Because people say, well, can't anybody visit anybody in the hospital? Maybe now in some big cities, but if you're in ICU. That's supposed to be relatives or your spouse. And in many hospitals, they hold that as a very hard line. Sure, in L.A., Absolutely. I could probably show up and go see my 17th cousin friend from high school and I see you and go, hi, I'm her friend, they'll let you in. That's not true everywhere. And when it's intensive care, the emergency room, it is supposed to be immediate family only. I have to tell you, you know, I have no family because my mother died last year and she was my mm-hmm. only family. So when I was in the ICU between Christmas and New Year's of this year, uh-huh. my best friend and her husband and her daughter came and she and I consider each other, both of us are only children, technically, and we always just say we're sisters. Mm. So I just told the nurse, my sister and my brother-in-law right. and my niece are coming, And but I was worried they wouldn't let them in if I didn't do and that. And this is 2017. Luckily, they didn't check. And they didn't check, but in some places, they wouldn't. Well, that's the whole story. Harlan, our fabulous friend Harlan, the Absolutely. Hi, Harlan. He has the story of the time he was with Carol Channing, who is just still alive and kicking and tearing it up at 90, whatever that woman, oh my God, yeah. um, can outlive us all. But a few years ago, you know, she still she had fallen or something, and she's always bumping into things and falling over even when she was young. So they're off to the emergency room, which is like a regular thing with Carol since sure. she was 30. She'd be off to the emergency room. So he's off to the emergency room with Carol Channing, and it's, you know, ambulance time, and they're, and they're like, who are you? Well, they don't really always say, hey, hey, publicist, sure, you can ride in the ambulance, whatever. And it's like, are you a relative? And he went, yes, because he knew just like, shut up, say yes. And they said, what are you? And he went, I'm, 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 I'm her father. And he says, he just blanked and said, I'm her father. And they looked at him for a second and went, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. And then they got in and Carol Channing goes, father? <laughs> and like, he's like, what? Where did where'd you pull that out of? But that was the thing a lot of people don't realize. It's not as bad now, but it was very real, and it's still real in some cities. You re- yes, you really have to say you're related to someone to yeah. get in the ICU. So gay couples whose families may not have been speaking to them anymore, who may have disowned them. Mom was not getting on a plane to come out. And suddenly someone is deathly ill in an ICU and the person who's lived with them for 20 years and cared for them is told, I'm sorry, you're not on the papers, you're not a relative. Yeah. And that's when suddenly they went, wait, we need domestic partnership, we need gay marriage, what do we do? So a bunch of stuff got changed because of AIDS. And in fact, all of you straight people who were able to visit your friends in ICU by saying, well, we're really close friends, I'm a cousin. Yeah, that's because it kind of that's got that started. Um, it was a crazy time. People were so scared. They didn't know. So Steve gets sick and he goes public when, you know, Rock Hudson's still going, uh, Hamana Hamana and Liberace's still going, I'm fine. I have no idea what you're talking right, about. Right, exactly. I have a flu. I have the flu. And Steve Tracy goes on mid-morning L.A. talk show and says, I have AIDS. And when nobody... And now, did you know he was going to do that? Did he tell you? Yes, he did alert us. First, he it was a weird phone call I got where I just knew something. He left me this cryptic message, and I'm like, oh, my God, are you in jail? What was that? It was so weird. It's like, call me, and I'm like, 
Okay, you sounded like you were being held hostage and a gun to your head. What were you calling about? I can't talk right now. Okay, you're still being held hostage. Why are you calling? What is going on? No, no, no. Okay, you're in trouble. Yes, okay, we're going to play 20 questions because you can't talk to people around. And I seriously, I was like, are you in jail? Are you? Have you been kidnapped? I mean, he sounded that bad. And I was like, what is going on over there? And so I said, okay, bigger than a bread box. I said, so um, legal, financial, physical? The third one. It's a physical problem. Yes, you're sick, kind of. Yes. And we went around in circles, and it was like, eventually it was like, okay, I have cancer. And so we, it was cancer for like a couple of months, and then it was like, okay. Call. Now, did he know about HIV AIDS, or did he really think he, he had gay cancer? No, he had to go through four doctors before he could get one. Who okay, was that when they were still calling it gay cancer? It, no, it, it become AIDS. He had to go through four doctors because he went to the doctor and said, I have Kaposi's sarcoma, I have AIDS, what do I do? And the doctor said, no, you don't have that. Like, you're, you're a nice gay person on TV, you don't have that. Or, what? I'm sorry, I've never diagnosed anyone. I don't know how that works. Is that how that works? And he had to keep going to doctors. He went, no, it's a bruise. I don't think it's Kaposi's. Do you think it's Kaposi's? And the doctors were in so much denial. Yeah. Or didn't know enough about AIDS or went, no, I like you. Bad gay people I don't like get AIDS. You don't have AIDS. And he was like, oh, my God, you guys really aren't getting it. I need a real doctor here because I know that this is Kaposi's and I'm, I, I have AIDS. I'm not an idiot. I know what this looks like. I've seen. Isn't that interesting? You know, as an intersex person who did mm-hmm. not know till I was 31, once I figured out who I was and started asking questions of doctors and whatnot, the whole answer was sort of, no, no that's no. No, it no. could be that. And, and, and by the way, we fixed it. So just don't worry about it and live your yes, life as a girl. It, it's going to be okay. You're just fine. Just live your life. Look, we made it go away. See, it's all fixed. La, 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 But la, that, la, was, <laughs> that was very common, I think, still is in the medical community, right? Yeah. Just, well, no, no, nothing to worry about. Just do what we say and no, 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 nothing to see well, here. Well, it's also like, also if they really like you, it's like I was watching The, the Crown and the, the king, is he's got lung cancer. Yes, he's yeah. smoking. And of course, they're all smoking. The doctor's smoking because it's the yeah, Right. And he's like, well, am I better? And the doctor's like, oh, I was told not to tell you because they didn't want his majesty to be distracted. Right. But you operated, yes. And now what? Well, no, you're not cured. We just kind of let you think you were cured because we like you and we didn't want to upset you. Right. And basically goes, oh, do you want me to actually tell you? He's like, yes, I want you to tell. Oh, well, you're yeah, you're dying, totally. But he was the king and they liked him. So they would, yeah. okay, you're good. Right. And people would do that. People would like, they'd like their patients. They go, it's okay. So Steve was having that problem on top of doctors going, I really don't know how it works. I'm not sure. It could be capacities. You need to see somebody else. And finally, like four guys in, he got someone, yeah, 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 ran the tests and said, um, yeah, you have capacities sarcoma and you absolutely have AIDS and you have crap for T cells and you're sick. And so he's like, he, he was basically getting confirmation. He said, no, I'm not. He'd read up on it and he knew what was going on. He was very, very, very smart. So he was he was going to them with like the article going, No, seriously, I yeah. have this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to help me. And so finally he got into a program with you know UCLA with the thing and experimental treatments. So but he went public and he did call everyone up and goes, Here's the deal, I'm going on TV and it's like, uh Um so I was very upset because my friend was like well, then everything got wacky because when he went public, I called it the Linda Evans position because people said you kissed him on TV and oh my God, and he's been in your house. I'm going to get AIDS in your apartment. Um, <laughs> they were you so have the frightened. AIDS on your couch. My roommate Sharon, her aunt, who was a nun, 
um, her Catholic aunt. Because they're never gay. I'm sorry, right? was that my out loud uh, yes. voice? So, oops. Happens. Her kooky, she had a very Catholic family, and most of them were cool, but the one kooky Catholic aunt actually phoned her and said, has he been in the apartment? Did he use the bathroom? Oh, the nun said that? Yeah, because she was terrified that oh. Sharon was like, oh, my God. Is and she was like, no, really, it doesn't work that way, sister. So, But, yeah, people were freaking out, and they didn't know. And now Steve, his mom, and his sister were way cool and were on the first plane out, and they took care of him and everything was Oh, lovely. that's and wonderful. He, and he had yeah. some little money from the show, and he had friends, and he had health insurance. and So things were kind of good. Crazy, his lover, the guy who he'd been living with for years, bailed immediately. Mm. The mom and the sister were like, oh, my God, what can we do? We're on the first plane out. The, the boyfriend was nowhere to be found. And we're like, wait, that's like opposite day for what everyone else was doing in the 80s is their, their lovers and friends were taking care and their mother was nowhere to be found. His mother went. It turned out, although he tried to explain to the guy at the time, you get this virus and it lives in your system for years and I probably caught it in the late 70s or like 1979 or 80 and now I'm sick in 84, 85 and then you get symptoms later and that's why I'm sick now. He didn't get it. He assumed that because he broke up in Kaposi's he must have gone out like last weekend and had sex with someone else and caught this disease. Oh, no. And said, well, you cheated on me. And he said, no, I didn't cheat on you. I caught this. I mean, you, we all need to get tested. God, they were just coming out with the test. You like, couldn't even get a test. He said, I caught this several years before I met you. And it's been brewing in my system, and now I'm symptomatic. And he, he, could, he wouldn't get it. He was like, well, no, obviously you must have just got this, because look, you see you have these sores. So very people really yeah. didn't know what the hell they were doing. So... He lost the boyfriend, but got the mom and the family, which was so strange and so different from what other people were doing. And he had a huge support system. Everybody from Little House totally rallied around him. When everybody you, was cool. But don't you also think that what happened with the boyfriend might have just been an excuse? Because when people get sick, mm -hmm. people disappear. And perhaps he had cheated on him and thought maybe yeah. he gave it to him and was like, oh, I'm in trouble. I better make up a good story yeah. or right he knew now. Or he too had it and was, was, just and wasn't going to tell anybody. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, whatever it was, he went, he was like, this is going to be my new story as I go hurtling out the door. So he bailed. And it was very unfortunate. He was not happy about it. But it was everybody from the show and his friends and his family, boom, totally there. So he's very public. So my phone's ringing, and I'm getting press local and international Oh, my God, did you know he was gay? Did you know he had AIDS? Are you concerned that you're at risk for AIDS? Blah, 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 blah. And then they're also asking me questions like, I somehow became a doctor during the time that he came right, up. I'm sure you did, so, yeah. And an AIDS expert at that. A total expert. And how is it transmitted? And how did he get it? Now, do you know how yeah. many people have it? How you're long now do working at the CDC, them? and you what just do, didn't know. Yeah, what diseases does he have? And how many T-cells? I'm like, are you kidding me? And I went, okay, how did that happen? So then I thought, well, I, if this is how desperate people are, maybe I should go get the information, then I can answer them. So I started talking. So you. Right. So I called a few because it was like either leave town and hide, or and I got some people who knew what they were doing who hooked me up with a couple of phone numbers. And then they were like, well, you know, there's an AIDS hotline. And so I started getting info. So when I had a basic list, a cheat sheet. So I went, well, actually, since you're asking, here's how many people currently. And then I went, well, I've got to go sign up. And they said, go to APLA. So I went to AIDS Project Los Angeles and volunteered. And I wound up taking the hotline training where I met Bob Schoonover, who I've now been married to for 23 years. How Isn't that is wonderful? That? Yeah. So I met Bob. From a bad thing, a good thing comes. And we became friends in this whole thing. And it was like when Harry met Sally, we're friends for seven years before we went on a date. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's oh, fantastic. Oh, it's a movie. The whole Bob and I think it's crazy. Stuff. So I wind up volunteering there and I take the hotline training. And so now I'm on the phones and the total strangers are calling and they're like, oh my God, I'm terrified. I'm going to get it from a mosquito. 
Now, sometimes if I thought they were in the right mood, I would say, sir, if you're having sex with mosquitoes, you have bigger problems than I can help you with. And then they'd start laughing, and then we go, okay, right, yeah, whatever. And they'd calm down. Because sometimes they were just la, 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 freaking out because their friends had told them crap. And I'm just going to get it. And I go, okay, let's take a deep breath here. And I'd, and you had a whole rules about how you express things. You had to be really nice to them. But it was, no, that's not how it's transmitted. And here you go. And, oh, there was, you know, people, like, I touched gum. I, there was gum on the seat on the subway. I touched the gum. And I would have to calmly say, I wanted to laugh, but I go, okay, let's take a deep breath here. You really need an entry to the body. But was there blood all over the gum? And they'd go, wait, no, wait, that's weird. No, of course there wasn't. Did you have a giant open cut on your hand when you touched the gum? And then they'd start kind of laughing, going, okay, wait, I totally didn't get this from the gum, did I? Like, no, yeah, no, you didn't. But you'd have to kind of talk people down because they were freaking terrified that they were going to get it off a doorknob. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this is... And it was just... Sometimes you'd give them the simplest piece of information. You go, well, it works like this, and here's how... And they go... Oh, oh, that's it? Oh, oh, thank God. And they'd, like, calm right down. And I'm like, wow, it was that easy? Some people just needed that. They yeah. that freaked well, out. I think we all were. When I was, uh, when I was, um, uh, had my first surgery in 1983, mm-hmm. to make the problem go away, it's gone, mm-hmm. you're fine. Just tell people you're a cis female. Um, there was an, uh, the hospital was overbooked, so they put me in the children's ward with a woman who was having a glaucoma surgery, uh, no, a cataract surgery, and a, a kid who had uh, viral encephalitis and a bunch of people going into a man's room in hazmat suits. And my mom kept asking, like, what's going on in that room? And the nurses mm-hmm. wouldn't say. She was very concerned with the hazmat suits. And so she was a reader of medical journals. because she, she was knew something was up. Very smart and a little bit of a hypochondriac, both of which, for the better or the worse, she passed to me. And she read about AIDS. So when I went back to have surgery, I had a big surgery in 86. And in 84, she had her hysterectomy. She, we were, she refused to let them give me blood. And she did would you not bank take blood? blood. Did you like, do your own blood? No, by the time we both that. had surgery in 1990, we banked blood. Right. And but by in then, the 80s, they didn't offer it to right. us. Right. And by 90, you were safer. It was that terrible period. In the 80s. 81, 82, 83. Yeah. If you got a transfusion there, oh, that's when it got ugly. That so was I think she saved both of our lives right, by it, not allowing us to have any kind of... I remember right, she that, took that iron shots in her hips because that was the alternative to having the blood. Yep. And there was um, that key period. Once they, once they got to like 85, well, it was the whole... The whole thing where the Red Cross got sued, and rightfully yeah. so, they weren't. They found out they could just heat treat the product for the hemophiliacs and save all of them, and they weren't doing that, and they let all those people die. And then they found out, well, if we actually have this test, and for the antibody, they had the test, but they went, well, the cost, and they actually, that's the whole thing that came out. They yeah. had the meeting. It'll cost this much to test the blood. If we don't test the blood, we think this many people will die die and it'll only cost us this much to pay off their estate and pay them in the lawsuits but they were dumb because they calculated this many people might get it from a transfusion and they die and it never occurred to them yes and those people will go home and have sex with their husbands and wives you dingling and of course then they die so it didn't occur to them that they would actually be part of a giant outbreak or that the numbers would be high but they actually sat there and said if this many people die it'll be cheaper than running the silly little 10 cent test so they found it it wasn't Mm. Um, but then after that period the blood supply became quite safe but there was a terrible, terrible window period where 
oh man, people got it was bad. It was very terrifying, and yeah. and so that didn't really help when people were like, wait, what? I can get a transfusion? Oh my god, that's scary as hell. So people went bananas. Oh, even when I had when I had my hysterectomy in in 2012, they woke me up in the middle of the night and told me we want to give you three blood transfusions because I was so anemic. I mean, I was dangerously anemic, mm-hmm. and I have a friend who now has become a nurse. One of my best friends became a nurse when she turned 40, and I and I called her and said, what do I do? And she's like, oh God, honey, the blood is so safe now. Don't even worry about it. Oh, yeah, but so we're, 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 we're teenagers of the 80s, right? We're, we're conditioned to be worried about blood. Yeah, because we is, grew up. Is scary. Don't it was all blood. over the news when we were kids. And so. they would teach the little kids at school when they started teaching the little kids if a kid in school had AIDS. Yeah, they would say, "Now, if somebody cuts themselves, go get a teacher. Just don't touch the blood. Everything's fine. Right. Just if someone don't touch in your classroom blood. cuts themselves, walk away and get a teacher, and and don't touch the blood." Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? So, um, did 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 I hate to ask this, but yes. I'd never ask you this. Did Steve die? Quickly, Did he live a long time? He outlived the predictions. I mean, they gave him a few weeks back in those days. We'll remember because Steve Peters, who's still alive after yes, 30 Yes, I was going to say, yeah, Steve and Peters lives on. he was given nine on. weeks and 30 years later. The man's like a living Twinkie. Frightening. His shelf life. <laughs> it is totally. Well, Steve was told, yeah, you're toast. you got a few weeks. But he said, well, give me whatever you got. And, God, it was like pre-even AZT or okay. anything. It was ridiculous. He had nothing. But he was doing interferon shots. He was doing these intramuscular injections. And it was an experimental drug. And that was the famous story I tell where he, they, I said, wow, is it going to work? And he said, oh, it's entirely too late to save me. I'm just letting them experiment on me because they might find a cure or treatment that will save someone after I'm dead. Isn't that beautiful? And he was that kind of person. But he said, hey, and it might work. Maybe it will buy me time. And they'll, yeah. they, I don't know. Something did have work because he was supposed to be just, I mean, he had full, he had capacities, he had a bunch of stuff. He was supposed to be very, very dead very quickly. And I think he lived almost two years. Oh, wow. Okay. Which back then was a huge amount of time for a little skinny guy who was told he had a few weeks to yeah. live like two years. And he did very, very well. But then, yeah, it got just too rough. It's interesting because I remember even when I first bought my house in 1991 and I would walk to the grocery store. I would see four or five gentlemen that mm. obviously had AIDS that were, you know, looked like they had been in a concentration camp. But people went blind. And that was just, people yeah, blind. people went blind. But people became like 100 pounds, mm-hmm. six foot, 100 pounds. Totally amazing. And it's so easy, it's so odd because we got so used to seeing those people walking amongst us. And now you don't see that anymore. Well, you don't see it. But one, you know, you have the cocktail, which, you know, buys people right. huge amounts of time. And, yeah. and many people live on it as if it's like being on insulin. It's like, okay, Forever, you're good. yeah. But they also, even before they had the cocktail, they found out they went, wait, the people getting emaciated, a lot of that was what they were calling wasting syndrome. And then somebody said, well, you know, maybe if we treat them for the diarrhea, (laughs) and they found that they treated some of the infections that was causing that they didn't actually have to be emaciated. Absolutely. And even now with cancer, um, you know, my best friend has cancer right now, and she... uh, she hasn't lost any weight at all. I mean, they, they give you all these drugs so you don't throw up anymore. Yeah, they figured out how not to let people waste. The so walking dead that. people, we don't really see yeah. them anymore and out And people used us. to go, it was, I think it was uh, CMV, cytomegalovirus, it would make you go blind. And I remember seeing a lot of like young guys you know, in their 30s and 40s, white kids going blind on Santa Monica, a lot of people going blind. Yeah. And you don't see that anymore. It was really horrifying. It was, a, it was a plague. It was a plague. And it was just unbelievable. So and did you ever have any doubts about going to volunteer for well, APL? Again, science. Um, I paid attention to health class, and um, early, early on, when they first started talking about it all, they were talking about well, blood, and they were saying blood, sex, needles. Right. And I went, oh, 
Well, syphilis. Syphilis is spread by blood and sex and needles, and you don't get syphilis off a doorknob or a toilet seat. There's diseases you get through the air by coughing and sneezing, and then there's diseases you get from blood. So this is one of those. If you're getting it off needles, you're not getting it off sneezing. It doesn't work that way. It's a different thing. So right away I went, oh, it's a bloodborne disease, so I knew you weren't going to get it through the air. And then even before I studied all the stuff they made me study in hotline and epidemiology and everything, I kind of had a basic epidemiology. Well, if it was spread by coughing, we'd all have it by now. Right. If, it <laughs> was, would go, if, if you touch the gum on the subway, a lot more people would have it. And well, like the mosquito thing. Uh, I remember that the, one of the ways they explained to the class, I said, okay, I mean, yes, we've actually cut open the mosquitoes and we checked and no, it, it, it won't stay alive in the mosquito. It doesn't work. Right. We've even given mosquitoes AIDS tainted blood and have them like it. It doesn't work. Isn't it interesting how considering it's it's actually quite difficult to yes. get. Yes, it's a fragile. That, that many people virus. had it, considering it was that difficult to get. It's a fragile. Virus. Just because of the seventies, man, well, free and, love. And the other way is epidemiology. They said, okay, think about Minnesota with the great hordes of mosquitoes with like six foot wingspans. I mean, people live in Minnesota. Oh my God, the mosquitoes! When you think about the prairies, and they go, but look, all these people are sick are in New York and San Francisco and L.A. Yeah. and in cities where there really aren't that many mosquitoes, and in these huge prairies where you're inundated with mosquitoes. Gee, very few people have it. So doesn't that tell you mosquitoes probably are not your hot route here? So yeah. they just said do the math, and so I, I was always sort of logical. So I was like, no, I do remember the very, very, very first time I used the red room at AIDS Project Los Angeles. It was a comedy sketch because I walked in and went, oh yeah, I can use the bathroom. And I went and used the bathroom. And I went, I literally like went in and sat down. And as I sat down in the toilet, I went, I'm using the toilet at the AIDS Project. And I didn't even put down paper. And I went, wait. And I started thinking about how many people I knew would have a heart attack at the very thought. And I went, wait. And then I looked around the room. I saw the bucket in the corner, the bottle of bleach, the cleaning products. And I went, oh, right. This is probably the cleanest toilet in Western civilization. They oh clean God. this bathroom like six times a day I, with disinfectant. I, this is cleaner than my toilet, than any toilet I've ever sat on. This in is the a horrible story, world. but when I was working on the Howard Stern station, <laughs> I was, we were interviewing Ron Jeremy. Right? I, I've met who him. Who I love. What very a lovely nice gentleman man. he is. And, and he's very he, charming. He's very he strange. was, uh, you know, I don't, that was like 1998. Still, when I see him at Cantor's or somewhere, he remembers me. Um, and so I was drinking out of a water bottle, and he just kind of pointed at it and took a drink of it and handed it back. And I, right. I didn't even think about it. And as it hit my throat, I thought, I'm sharing a water bottle with Ron Jeremy. Is that well, a good that idea? Mm, don't know. I, I think there were other diseases I would. Well, yeah, now, but you know, we were just we became so fearful of anyone who might have it, and at the time there was the scare with porn stars because they have sex unprotected have sex, sex for a living. All right, you that's know. their job. And the many of them got sick. And yeah. now Steve, of course, was terrible. He would tease me. He would educate me. We talked about cell mediated immunity versus humoral immunity, which is why I was worried that he was like boy in the plastic bubble that if I had a cold and sneezed on him and kill him. And he's like, sure. no, actually, no. If you have chicken pox, that's different. And he would explain this. But then he was terrible and would tease me. We were like sitting, and I did take a sip of his water bottle because that's okay. And then he turned around and said, oh, I totally bled in that a minute ago. Are you okay? And so he was awful and would like do stuff like that. Oh my God, that's um, fantastic. That he kept his sense of humor in the face of being terminal. Oh my God, he was hilarious. That's one of the reasons he lived as long as he did. Um, so it was a weird time. It was a weird time. Now, certain people that's were there. All about, Morgan Fairchild was, was wonderful there in the beginning. Yep. Um, who well, I just recently had lunch with a few months ago. Isn't she wonderful fantastic? Uh, Liz Taylor was on the money. Liz Taylor, because she was on like the board, I think, at Cedars and the 
hospital. She would go down to the hospitals. Now, because if she knew, if she called the hospital and said, this is Elizabeth Taylor, and I understand you are not feeding people and you're leaving food trays outside rooms and you're being terrible to the patients. No, 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 Miss Taylor, we'll take care of her right away. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. Right. So she'd go in the middle of the night unannounced to the hospitals. And she'd wow. just show up in the middle of the night at Cedars and go up and down the halls and go, boom, 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 boom. Is this your food tray? And she would pick up people's food trays and bring them into the room and go, honey, have they been leaving your food tray outside your room? Yes, yes, Miss Taylor, they have. They have not been feeding me. They said they're scared to come in here and the nurses have been ignoring me. Yeah. Okay, what's your name? Thank you. And she'd go up and down the halls and interview everyone, sit on their beds, feed them their lunch, and say, when did you last get your tray and how often have they left outside your room? And then she'd call the head of the hospital at home and wake him up and say don't tell me you're feeding people because i'm here now and i just counted the trays i'm here in the room yeah and she would go and show up at the board meeting and scream at them and they, so yeah so she, she she was serious she went down to the hospitals um my more, friend sunny rose Berger. do you know her sunny rose she runs life group la no no no. she's wonderful and they've been a, a, a supportive hiv aids charity for like 20 years she right. became involved with it because she was part of the gay rodeo Oh, yes. So a lot of her friends were radio stars, rodeo stars, and when they Grand were Marshall. when they were dying, um, she and her girlfriends would all go down to the hospital to see them, and they would say, "No, no, no, you can't, yeah. you can't come in. They have Don't AIDS." Come in. So she, they would wait until the medical people were gone, and then they would go into the rooms Sinking. and literally crawl into the beds and hold their friends while yeah. they were dying. Because there was nobody going in there to just even hold their hands and was, say, I'm so sorry you're dying. They were all dying alone. And she was, and they I were horrified. Her friends were horrified by that. That's what bugged me when I saw people were being bad to sick people. Okay, people are being mean to sick people. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And um, I was going to Episcopalian. Good Episcopalian. I was going to an Episcopalian church. In fact, it was I met um, the father, Reverend Albert, Albert Ogle, who was working at APLA at the time. He said, go to APLA. And he's now back east. And he also did a bunch of stuff with the Ugandan you know how they're killing gay people yeah. in Uganda, and he got hooked up with an Episcopalian bishop in Uganda who was running the safe house for gay and lesbians to hide in That's Uganda. Wonderful. So he's like that guy. Um, and he, I met him, and um, so I was going to, and that was the thing. I saw that there were all these uh, people who said they were Christian groups who were coming down. People, and I went, okay, I know I'm just getting into this Christianity thing, but okay, mean to sick people. Wow, that's way no, yeah, that's kind of opposite day, not in the Bible. I'm like the part where you're mean to sick people. I think that's bad. And I thought, wouldn't you, if you were very, 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 very religious? Wouldn't your response to be to drop what you were doing, jump off the couch and run down the street to where the sick people with AIDS were and go help them and minister yes. to them? Yes. And then I found out people were doing exactly that. Because wasn't that exactly what Jesus would have done? Right. Jesus Shouldn't we lead by them. example? Jesus right. was touching lepers. Hello, lepers, right? And, I and found you can out get that, that from the gum. And you can get the lepers. And I found out that indeed people were doing that. There were yes. absolutely Christians who did exactly that. They were down there at the hospice and taking people into their homes and doing that. So it was very cool. I found all these people who did get it and were helping people, and I was so. Re- and that's the thing. I met all these people who really got it and wanted to help people who were sick and needed help. And I met such wonderful people that I was like, okay, well, this is good. The nice people who help people who are sick are all here, so this is who I want to hang out with. Um, but it was intense. It was uh, oh, Joan Rivers had a benefit for AIDS Project Los Angeles. I mean, they didn't even have a building yet. It was in 1980. Two, not 84, not 86, 1982. Wow. Joan Rivers, through a benefit called Can We Talk, to raise money for what was just opening AIDS Project Los Angeles. 
It just started. Wow. And she did that. And uh, Bob has a couple of the T-shirts in mint condition in a box that takes Joan Rivers. Can't we talk? Um, so she was there before anybody. And people, and nobody knew about it. Only a tiny group of people knew. Most people don't know that Joan Rivers did that back in 82. So there were some celebrities that were there way in the beginning. Um, Quinn Cummings. Have you had Quinn Cummings on the show yet? I have. Uh, twice she was on my daily show. I should have her on this show. She I adore her. She was a volunteer. Bob knew her. Wow. She worked with Bob and, 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 and You Tom were friends Rosley. as children, right? Yeah, well, she lived next door to me when I was eight and she was like two. And it was very great because that's the whole thing. She was so smart. And yeah. she had a gift for languages. And her mother and father worked a lot. And um, they had a Latino maid, the Mexican lady who took care of her. And she was wonderful. She, as, as Quinn said, oh, my God, I was her princess. She doted on her and adored her. And spoke Spanish all day. And one day, Mummy came home, and little Quinn said, Hola, Mama. And the <laughs> child spoke perfect, fluent, brilliant Spanish, and like 10 words of English. And they went, oops-a-daisy. We didn't think she could do languages this quickly. She's, her Spanish is great. Her English is terrible because we weren't there. And they were a little embarrassed going, okay, wait, we got to get her up to speed on her English. Now what do we do? And so my job was kind of to hang out and play with her and help her with her English skills, which is kind of oh, hilarious. I, I was to yeah. teach her English. And, um, and, and then the whole story about her affinity for cake resulting in a temper tantrum and a table being turned over. But, yes, yeah, so, yeah. so we, we still tease her about the cake incident. Um, um, but Quinn is an amazing person. She volunteered for the hotline. She was there very, very early in the epidemic on the AIDS hotline and knew Bob and Tom Mosley and everybody there. So, yeah, so so there were people that um, Leslie Ann Warren was very early on, was helping out at AIDS Project Los Angeles. Who I've also met, and it's lovely. Yeah, so there were a bunch of people, way, way, that people don't even know were down there doing stuff. Um, very cool people. But, yeah, I started in... And Bob had been hired at AIDS Project Los Angeles in 1984. He was like the sixth person, I think, that had worked there. Oh, wow. And the first straight guy. It was like four gay guys, two women, and then like him. Yeah. And, um, but he had worked, and that's the thing. Cause how that's they how worked. you knew he was your spirit animal. Oh, right. He came there. He didn't know anyone with AIDS. He hadn't lost anyone with AIDS. He came there because he ran a drug abuse hotline and crisis center in Ohio. And when he moved to L.A., he got a job at the methadone clinic. And he was working with heroin addicts. Wow. And then people started getting sick. And he went, oh, needles, duh, okay. Our whole caseload, they're going to get AIDS or they're going to know someone with AIDS and we're going to have to start having an AIDS component in our counseling education program because, duh, we're treating IV drug users. Hello. And then he went to his boss and said, so what do we do about setting up a component about this new thing with AIDS because, hi, we have IV drug users. And the boss didn't get it and said, oh, I don't think that'll be a problem. And he's like, no, no, blood, IV drug, wait, what? And the boss was, said something about, well, I don't think we need to talk to people about their sex lives. And he said, you know, I'm the counselor, and I've been talking to them about their sex lives and everything else for, like, the whole time I've been here. And hi, we're talking about sharing needles. What planet are you on? And he realized he had to work somewhere else because this person was crazy. Um, and he saw a job opening, AIDS Project Los Angeles, and it was running a hotline. He goes, well, I know how to run a hotline. So he applied. Oh, that's wonderful. And he got the job. They also told him he was crazy. He said during the interview, they said, you're as nutty as a fruitcake. And he said that's kind of when he knew he had the job. 
It's fantastic. <laughs> so yeah, so he came about it this whole other way. So it was all these very unusual people who did things for other people in the beginning. That's who came. That's who came. And I met all these people, so I was like, this is good. So I saw that other people didn't have what Steve Tracy had. Their moms and sisters were not flying out to take care of them. They didn't yeah. have the entire cast of a television series rushing over to see if they needed anything. Um, they didn't have his financial resources or health insurance resources or people were going to come over and pay his rent and get him out of it. It wasn't happening. They had nothing. We had people sometimes who would call APLA back in the old days. They would wait so long. They were so terrified to tell anyone. And then finally they went, i got to call somebody. So they would just show up, and they would walk in the front door and fall face forward and collapse on the rug in oh, the reception wow. area. And it was like, clean up on aisle five. We'd have to call when, like, 911 because they waited till all the lights were turned out at their apartment, the gas was off, and the heat was off, and the electricity was off, and then, like, crawled. Well, just crawl. like it would be in, a, in a, a major, I mean, it was a major plague, but, I mean, if we had a, a bubonic plague well, like or a, a 1917 pneumonic plague. Well, like a epidemic. Or, or a 1317 like yeah. plague epidemic yeah. where you didn't want anyone to know you had it, so you just hid in your house. Yeah, and they did that, and it was terrible. And I bet people some people just died in their they places did. and never told they anybody. Absolutely, they did. They totally did. You know, it's funny, when you mentioned having your surgery and being in the children's ward. Yeah. Do you ever read uh, Christine Jorgensen's autobiography? The Christine Jorgensen, famous transgender sure. person yeah, in the 60s, yeah. my friend. When she was in Denmark and had the surgery, they didn't. there was no transgender surgery ward because she and the other, what, three people on earth were like doing this. They put her in the children's ward for recovery. Oh. Because they were dealing with bleeding issues and whatever, and they had someone who did that, and she was in the children's ward. Well, and she loved it because she really liked kids, and she would hang out and talk with all the sick kids and was apparently their great, like, champion and entertainer. Now I feel like she's my spirit animal yeah. because we both not only stayed in the children's ward during a hospital stay, but it was when we had our brand spanking new vaginas. Yes. Isn't when, that a strange coincidence? When she had her sex reassignment surgery and got her vagina and was having bleeding issues in the hospital, she was placed in the children's ward. Do you know, when I had that surgery, and I told a very inappropriate very story last week on Raising the Vibration, so why should this week be any different? Um, when, um, when I woke up from the surgery, because they did build me a vaginal canal, part of my intersex condition was I have the outside, I had the inside, I didn't have anything connecting. There was no Whoa. road. Because I was just saying, wait, you had a uterus. I had a uterus and ovaries, but I didn't, and I looked perfectly normal on the outside. You had a house and no foyer. Exactly. There you was no, no, no driveway. Oh, dear. And uh, um, so I woke, so they built me one, and much like Christine Jorgensen, except I, they had nothing to build mine from. And I woke up, and there was a, there was a, a surgical glove they had packed with ice. And it was, you know, where the sun doesn't shine. <laughs> got to put something there. And okay, it holds it up. Yeah, you got to. And mm-hmm. so I woke up from the anesthesia, and I all I could imagine was that was when, you know, Howie Mandel's big thing was he oh, would put the, no. the glove on his head. All I could think of was that the top of Howie Mandel's head was for some reason in my brand new vagina. You were and giving it was, birth to Howie Mandel. Because, you know, I was coming That's, out of anesthesia right, for the first think, time, and I'm oh, like, oh, God. what in the hell is in there? What is Ew. it? took me a while to figure it out. <laughs> And then I lifted up the, the sheet and showed it to my mom, and she was like, oh, my God, what? Why did they do that? And then she was like, you know, I guess it actually makes sense. Well, then I think about it. It's actually to take kind the of swelling genius. down. you got to get the swelling down. And it's and a good way to get the swelling clean down. Clean and sterile, and we have a lot of them, and we put ice. Yes. Let's fill it up with ice, and uh, yeah. It totally makes sense when you think about it, but when you wake up and yeah. they didn't tell you, and you look down, it'd be like, wait, what? It was my uh, brand new uh, body parts first sexual experience. Oh, so, dear. Yeah, that was yes. totally inappropriate was- for this show, but I kind of don't care. So but we're no, gonna take- that's a thing, and uh, it's probably happened to other people now that you think about it. Yeah, when you, yes. 
I'm sure it's happened to many people. They should probably warn people before they and, do and, that. And, and every once in a while, Allison, I miss that glove. <laughs> and I want to call it up and tell it I'm sorry and can't we put it all back Can together. Can you go to brunch and talk? That's yeah. exactly. It's raising the vibration right here on LA Talk Radio. We're going to get a quick break and we're right back with you with much more fun and the wonderful Allison Arngram right after this. You're listening to Raising the Vibration with Sheena Metal only on LA Talk Radio. As difficult as it is to believe, there are places in Africa where human traffickers sell albino children and their body parts for use in magic rituals. Humanity Healing International is actively working in Uganda to change this paradigm. The Albino Rescue Project finds albino children who are at risk and places them in safe schools and environments where they can learn and grow free from fear. To learn more or to sponsor a child, visit HumanityHealing.org. Humanity Healing is where your heart is. Ohm Times Magazine is one of the leading online content providers of positivity, wellness, and personal empowerment. A philanthropic organization, their net proceeds are funneled to support worldwide charity initiatives via Humanity Healing International. Through their commitment to creating community and providing conscious content, they aspire to uplift humanity on a global scale. Ohm Times, co-creating a more conscious lifestyle. California legislator sends Bill SB 524 to Governor Brown to protect youth against institutional abuse. This bill would regulate residential programs notorious for abusing, attempting to convert LGBT youth. Let's be the change. Every child deserves to be treated with dignity and humanity. Stand with the Los Angeles LGBT Center and SIA organization against child abuse. Support SB 524. Go to PYIA.org and let your voice be heard. Alcohol-related harm affects us all. Everyone knows someone who's been touched. Alcohol-related harm ranges from lost jobs to serious mental and physical disease, from ruined family life to property damage, from violent crime to homelessness, death, or prison. Go to alcoholjustice.org and sign up for Action Alerts and E-News. Then you'll be ready to add your voice to many others when it's time to call for action that will reduce alcohol-related harm. Hello, this is Larry Russ, former keyboardist and vocalist for Iron Butterfly, and I'm here to tell you about that abuse is an epidemic in our world. Abuse has many forms, spousal and child abuse, sex and human traffic victims, and sexual abuse. Musicians Against Abuse wants to do something about it, and you can help. Contact maabuse.com. That's m-a-a-b-u-s-e.com. Join me and let's do something about it. maabuse.com. instrument. It has developed into an incredible voice in today's music.
so many types of guitars, so many styles of playing, all sorts of gear. How does one make their voice be heard as a guitarist? My name is Jeff Floro and welcome to All About Guitar, where we talk tone, we talk technique, we talk gear. Discover how we can become better musicians in a world of constantly changing technologies, where we take a good look at everything guitar, and sometimes not exactly guitar, but just as important, so we can be more successful as a musician in today's music scene. So join me 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Time at www.latalkradio.com on Channel One, and let's explore all about guitar. When Debbie Fragner gave birth to Maddie, she imagined a world of possibilities. But when her daughter was diagnosed with cerebral palsy, a neurological condition that impacts a person's ability to move and maintain balance, she had to adjust her expectations. Cerebral palsy affects 1 in 323 children in the U.S. While this diagnosis may limit Maddie's physical abilities, it doesn't limit her ability to dream. Maddie is now nine and has a dream to dance, which inspired the creation of the Children's Cerebral Palsy Movement, a nonprofit dedicated to the design and funding of innovative therapies that address not only the physical challenges of these children, but their dreams as well. As part of their Community Giving Day program, Whole Foods Market will donate 5% of net day sales to our movement on June 15th at their Tustin location and June 22nd in Newport Beach. Your purchases on these days will help further our cause. For more information, please call 714-746-4085. That's 714-746-4085. Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to Raising the Vibration with Sheena Metal only on LA Talk Radio. That's right. It's Raising the Vibration right here on LA Talk Radio. And I am your host, Sheena Metal. We're at RaisingTheVibrationRadio.com. We're also at LATalkRadio.com and um, social media. We are at uh, Twitter, I am Raising, and uh, Instagram, I am Raising It. And also uh, everywhere, I'm at Sheena Metal. And the new movement of peace, love, kindness, and unity that gave birth to Raising the Vibration Radio is called I Am Raising the Vibration of the Nation and the World. And we're at IamRaisingTheVibration.com. My guest is the wonderful Allison Arngrim. We're talking about everything under the sun. Um, and I don't want to not talk. I want to talk about your work with Protect. So we're going to do that in just a second. But you were one of the first people that I called after the election. Yes, and we had a wonderful conversation uh, about after the election when a lot of our um, gay friends were going insane. Everybody was freaking out. Like, Everybody so was hard. insane. People were really losing their tiny little minds, uh, and I That's think still are in many ways. And, and yes, it's there's some serious issues, but 
you got to remain calm. It's like, okay, if you really do think this is the bloody beginning of the end of the world, then don't you think you should not be hyperventilating and flailing right. around? You should be exactly. calming down and go, okay, what are you we going to do? should be stocking up on how your do, canned goods we, and bottled right. water. Should we, we need to sort this out yes. and fix this? So, so running and screaming in circles, that's not going to help you. If everything you think is happening is happening, then running and screaming in circles, then, then what are you going to do? No, I agree. No. And yeah. there were people that, Pull you know, together, people. were actually angry at me on both sides of the spectrum, friends, for starting a peace movement. Mm. Somebody actually said to me, um, I know that you're uh, you're all into this peace and love crap, but crap. we're at war, so start thinking about it. Nice. Well, now, see, back back to the hotline, because I said to Bob the other day, because, you know, God forbid, reading Facebook, which has just turned into this shriek hate book. Mm-hmm. hate book, hate book, hate book, where everyone's like, ah, just defriend me now. I'm yes, like, wow. exactly. Do you know, I see people sometimes, and they'll say, just defriend me now, and they're people I like, and I agree with all of their points of view, what they're saying, and I almost want to defriend them just because they said, just defriend me now. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I don't. You know, you know what's a marvelous button on Facebook? It's my favorite button. Oh, no. Unfollow. Oh, yes, I agree. You are still friends. You can remain friends with all of your friends and not defriend them yeah. and not block them. You just very calmly go to their page, which follow. There's a little thing, looks like a little radio, and follow. And you click, and it has like unfollow, and you can unfollow. And then they can say, and scream whatever they're screaming and get out of their system, and it's not in your feed. If you want to read it, you can click on their page at any time and read everything they're saying, or you can message them and have them tell you in person, and they're still your friend. You can still get notified about their birthday. You can still send them messages. You can still quote them. But you don't wake up in the morning and see what they're angry about that day, that they're yelling. You don't have to hear them yell right now. You can go to their page when you want to hear them yell. So if your friends are posting stuff that you don't agree with that's upset setting to you, which either end of this spectrum you're on, whether you know you're 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 a, a Trump and Z or a libtard, as it what is it, libtards? Is that what yeah, you're Oh yes, unfortunately that's it, yeah. End of the liberal conservative spectrum you're on, if you find that you have friends and family members who are posting things on Facebook that are bothering you, you can just unfollow them. You're still their friend. You just don't have to read it in your face right that second. And then everybody can take a big deep breath and calm down. I agree. Yes. So unfollow is my favorite button. The other thing, and this is the thing I said to Bob the other day. I said, now wait. I said, I understand that everybody's really upset and everybody's yelling and screaming at each other again. I said, but... I noticed that, you know, as we said, the tone of everything has just gone to the basement. Yeah. Yes. Everyone's like, Ning, hang, you're dumb. And I'm like, wow, that, that, that'll help. Um, <laughs> so yeah. what's the deal? I said, do you remember when, when we had the AIDS hotline? And he said, yes. I said, we had six, eight weeks what is it, of training how to talk to people on the bloody phone, how to listen to them. We not only had the training about here's the drugs that are available and here's where here's a funeral home that'll take your body and here's a dentist that'll treat you even though you have AIDS. We had all the referrals. But a lot of it was I see, mm-hmm, and I, I see, and when, and you, you think that you perhaps are infected. Now, you say you're infected, what, what brought you to that conclusion? You don't ask why, don't come down on, the, you had to be very, very chill on the hotline, because people were really distraught, you had yeah. to be a calming influence. You had everything from people calling up to say, I really think I have it, I don't know, I have these symptoms, I'm freaking out, to mothers saying, my son just died, can you help me? So you had some heavy stuff. But you also had people who would call up just to yell at us. 
well, you, you, you fags, and you terrible people with AIDS, and you, you, you're all going to hell. You're all yeah, going to hell. I'm all laughing. I don't mean to be laughing at that, but I'm laughing because I'm thinking how little things have changed. Right. And Was they it would internet call, trolls before the internet. Oh, we had you had an entire class on bomb threats and death threats. You had a whole class on people threatening to kill themselves, but you had a whole class about the bomb threats and the death threats. And we had all sorts of procedures if they were going to come and kill us or blow the place up. They used to keep them in a behind a whole closet behind a sliding panel at one time. They had a, a sliding wall. They hid the hotline people behind. And it was it was bananas, the stuff we prepared for. We prepared for all this stuff. But you had to prepare because there were people, there was a whole um, Bible class, like a Bible study class one time during Hotline because there were people who would call up to say, all of you, not just people with AIDS, but everybody apparently working Hotline, you were all going to hell because, like, really? Because I'm, I'm answering a phone. Okay. And they would just really, terrible things. And they would quote the Bible so people would have to be brought up to speed so they wouldn't panic. And they would say, no, no, no. I don't care what they're calling, what they say, they're coming with a gun or a bomb or that you're all going to help. No, you don't get to freak out on the phone and hang up or scream. You're supposed to stay calm. We had class of trans go, okay, well, um, wow, that sounds like you're really upset. Now, about this wanting to kill us, what, you know, when did you first feel this way? You start talking to them. And you would see, you would meet them where they were at. You didn't say, no, you're wrong. Don't say that. You didn't say, you're a dumb, dumb poo poo head. And you didn't yell at them and say, stop calling and yelling at me and say, go to hell. You go, ah. Now, if someone was really out of control, also people who called up to masturbate. I got a lot oh, of those. Okay. You were allowed to eventually at some point, if you weren't getting nowhere, if you'd been going in circles for 20 minutes, you could at one point say, you know, I feel like I'm not, we're not really getting anywhere. Um, I, uh, you know, this is primarily an informational hotline. And if you really want to call us back and ask us about HIV, I'll be happy to take your call. But I think maybe you need to call somewhere else. So you could do that. But generally, we kept them on the phone. And I said to Bob the other day, I said, look, when people called the hotline and said, you deserve to have AIDS. I hate you. You should die. You're going to hell. I hate all of you who are answering the phone. You're terrible people for answering the phone. Everybody with AIDS is terrible. Rah, rah, rah. And would swear and scream and threaten us. We didn't say, well, you're a dumb, uneducated moron. Did we? And he said, no, we did not. I said, did we yell at them? He said, no, we did not. I said, did we hang up the phone? He said, no. Did we hang up the phone and say, I'm blocking you and I'm never speaking to you again, you terrible person? We didn't. We never did that. We didn't yeah. tell them they were stupid. We didn't tell them they were wrong. And we didn't yell at them. We stayed on the phone and said, okay, I'm hearing you. What's making you feel that way? That's interesting. You sound really angry. What is it you're angry about? What did the people that they're making you angry? Can, can you tell me about that? We didn't just say, you dumb, dumb poo-poo head and hang up the phone. Yeah. And do you think the hotline would have lasted a week if we'd done that? And Bob's like, yeah, hello. We had a hotline for, how, what, nine years he ran the hotline. We didn't scream, dumb, dumb poo-poo head and hang up. And now I am seeing people on both sides. Absolutely. On when both sides. someone says yeah. something inflammatory mm-hmm. and disagreement with their political principles, instead of going... My, that's an interesting political position to take. Now, how did you come to that? They go, well, you're just dumb. I hate you, and you're dumb, and your head is dumb, and your dog is dumb, and you are a poo-poo brain, and they hang up the phone, and they block them on Facebook. And I'm like, that trick has never worked. <laughs> In the words of Rocky and Bullwinkle, that trick never worked. Yeah. That has never worked for anything. Why are we thinking that will work now? I completely agree with you 150%. How do we get, do we all need to take the hotline training with our little advanced 
active listening manual and have role play exercises where we pretend to answer the phone for someone who's yelling at us? I think that um, <laughs> everybody just needs to take a chill pill and realize. I think there are some people in the midst of people who are legitimately scared, mm-hmm. worried, upset about the divisiveness and about the new administration. There are people who just are looking for a fight and mm-hmm. now's a good time to have one. Big time. Bigly. People who just like a fight. People who right, bigly. bigly. People who just get riled up when there's a fight. They've been they were they were angry before and now they're like, Ooh, I can be angry about this. And I'll I'll yeah. tell you stories on both sides of the fence. It's mm-hmm, no secret mm-hmm. that many conservative people, because of something that happened in December with a friend, uh, threatened to kill me for weeks at a time. And you certainly know that. Um, but I had friends, gay friends, who I had not spoken to in five years who appeared in the middle of that incident and were like, oh, well, what's going on with you? And why are you friends with somebody who voted for Trump? And blah, 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 blah. Um, it's like, oh, yeah, and I'm doing great. And thanks for asking. And my mom died. And how have you been? And thanks yeah, for touching hi. base. So <laughs> I think there are people in minority communities, mm-hmm. of which women is one, LGBTQIA, ethnicities, religion, whatever it is, differently abled people. They're, they, they're more interested in talking to you when there's a fight or a scandal mm-hmm. Than they are when everything's fine. Yes, they just show up. That's just drama. Okay, they're, they're, they're bad weather queens. friends. Okay. You know, we talk about fair weather friends. They're bad weather friends. They're people who are only interested when things are terrible. And there are people who are straight or gay drama queens. They're yes, drama queens. Oh God, yes. And that is their thing. And some people who are just drama queens yeah. have taken on the conservative mantle. They have taken on the liberal mantle Absolutely. and have decided that this is their new thing to be a drama queen about. Yeah, yeah. and and they're only interested in. Um, in relating to their own communities and supporting them when it comes to some kind of struggle and strife. Oh, yeah, the little the identify loop, of it. The inter, for, yes. information Their identify of feedback. themselves is, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm this. I'm gay, therefore I've been downtrodden, therefore I have to rise up and attack. And 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 the the, the total preach into the choir feedback yes. loop that everybody's yes. gotten in, where because they're not just hitting unfollow, they're hitting block and defriend, they have now narrowed their spectrum of information and contact so they're not talking to anybody outside their own itty bitty tiny little world yeah and that's not good not for good. you ever i mean that's okay. how trouble starts in all directions from people staying too much with their own okay so when when i was on little house in the prairie and i was getting out of elementary school and i finally now had like a few dollars because i was on a show um Many people were going to private school. Obviously, Melissa Gilbert and Melissa Sue Anderson both went to private school. Melissa Gilbert went to Buckley. Uh, Melissa Sue went to a Catholic school, and then I think she went to Lycée Française. Uh, so they, they went to private schools. And most people, a lot of people in series, they went to Hollywood Professional, they went to Buckley, or they went to, they went to a TV, uh, some kind of academy, or they went to a private school in L.A., like a private school. And my parents had, you know, I guess you could if you want to go to private school. I mean, there's couple down the street and you know you got a few dollars and i said i don't want to go to private school also growing up in the 60s private school was seen as very elitist and oh dear you have to wear uniforms and heaven to now people at public schools wear uniforms okay but then it was a big deal you have to wear a uniform and it was going to be really uptight and public school was seen as being with the real people and you can wear your jeans sure and take my skateboard and i was like Ugh. and my parents said well you could go to private school and of course my mother went to super duper duper explicitly elitist private school. Right, as did she mine. Went, so she insisted I go to public school because right? she felt like that had that, that had disadvantaged yes, her. Yes, exactly. My mother went to the... I mean, York House. I mean, go to Vancouver and tell someone, 
Shaughnessy Heights, and I went to York House and watched the look they give you. I yeah. mean, really. So she went to the absolutely snooty pants school of all time, and she said, no, yeah, yeah public school. And my father went to a one-room schoolhouse on the prairie where the teacher was his cousin. Okay. Um, so they were pro, pro public school. They said, well, you want to live in the real world, right? And I said, yeah. And they said, you're always talking about you want to hang out with real people. You want to be in the real world. You're going to public school. First of all, it's over there. You go out the door, you get on the bus, and you go to Bancroft Junior High. And so I did. And then when I would complain, because actually it turned out it wasn't just like, oh, it's a little rough. Yeah, it was the height of the West Side Crips versus the Los Rebels gang war. So it was actually like a lot rough, like people trying to kill each other all day. Yeah. And it was actually sort of horrible. And now even people went to Bancroft, they go, oh, I, I went back to the school and visited. Oh, wait, were you here like 74, 75? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, no, it's not like that now. So, yeah, people go, oh, no, you weren't there. Everybody goes, that was a horrible, horrible time to be going to Bancroft. So... It was really rough, and I'm not sure my parents, being good little Canadians, quite grasped like the weapon thing, like got how bad it actually was. But they said, "You want to live in the real world. If you want to learn to make it in this world, and to deal with all kinds of people and meet real people, you don't want to be these a uh, little hothouse flower who only knows people on a television series. Yeah, you want to go out in the real world and meet real people and learn to live in this world and meet people different than yourself and and be able to relate to them and speak to them." I guess you're going to public school and you can't yeah. come in and whine about where they're mean to me. And so I did. And I, I did all of junior high and all of high school in public school. And sometimes it was great. And sometimes I was in a bad women's prison movie and I was Linda Blair. And it was <laughs> horrifying. <laughs> And oh my God! I thought I thought I was going to get like a pot of boiling water. And we all over know what after-school special Hello, that was. Broomstick. I thought I was going to get hot water over my head in home ec. I thought, okay, this something terrible is going to happen to me. But I didn't leave, and I did talk to, and I didn't stay in my own bubble. And I met a lot of people who were different, like way different than me. Some of whom, no, I I wouldn't want to know my address, let alone half to my house. But I did wind up sitting and talking with them, and I did, and I did yeah. have lunch with people. So some important. Became friends with some people, and there were other people, yeah, okay, it was just, don't kill me. Yeah. But we spoke, and I met them, and I knew them. Yeah. And I, they weren't they weren't, they weren't a myth. They weren't a, something figment of my imagination or something I read about on a website or in a magazine. Yeah. They were actual human beings that I was on the bus with in well, school with. Even if they were human beings I didn't like, they were human beings. And I, I, I feel for people who have not had an experience. You know, I, I knew somebody who, um, I went on a trip to New York, and this person had grown up in a, in a state that was very white, and we went to a bar in the village, and it was very colorful, and there was a certain amount of fear, you know. Um, I was joking with a couple of girls that were playing pool that were African-American, and there was this whole sort of like, don't upset them. And I'm like, <laughs> don't upset them. Oh, dear. They thought it was hysterical. I made some self-effacing joke about myself, and right. they thought it was hysterical. You were talking to humans and I was a conversation. Right, but yeah. I grew up in the, on the East Coast where mm. I, until we moved to Orange County when I was 13, I saw lots of people of color. And now I live in the Valley where there are lots of people of color, and I like everything being mixed up. My mama had a saying, too many white people in one place is a bad thing. <laughs> Well, now, of course, growing up in California show business, oh, of course, we had friends and people of color, but just, yeah, people who were in show business, and, and, and they, yes, they were they were not white, but they were educated people in show business, and they weren't... Right. Getting, we're all kind of the same yeah, in show. Yeah, still. Right. This was meeting people of all colors and white people who 
had like been to jail <laughs> and and who who were in gangs and i mean there was there was one girl who was quite renowned because she was she had just moved there from chicago and she'd been like in a girl gang in chicago oh, yeah. south side and was rougher than anybody and and there were people who that's what they did it was like a prison movie they made themselves safe by asserting their authority through violence and establishing sure. pecking order and stuff. Sure. And it was like, okay, this this is not West Hollywood. <laughs> this is a whole other yeah. world. And you need to figure out how to talk to people so they don't break your face. It's wonderful. That's, and it's wonderful <laughs> that you did that. Um, and I know I, I promised that we would talk a little bit about Protect. Tell, yeah, we, yeah, we uh, have tell my listeners a little bit about uh, you know your involvement with Protect. And it's such a wonderful organization. So, um, More work for the world. Right. I got I got to I got a call because a lot of people I knew, a whole gaggle of people who sort of hanging out with, because, okay, I was sexually abused as a kid, and um, I hadn't gone public with it. I mean, my friends knew. I'd gone to the shrink. My, you know, Bob knew. People close to me knew, but it wasn't like I went on a talk show. And then what happened is I was approached by this group, Protect.org, the National Association to Protect Children. Hey, you want to be on the board? And initially, you know, my name had gotten passed around because it's on TV. I sure. get asked to be on the board of everything at some sure. point. Yeah. I get asked a lot to do things for children's charities, child abuse charities, children cancer charities, because Little House in the Prairie, nice person. Lots of children. So yeah. children. So I get, and I wound up in AIDS. I wound up working at Tuesday's Child, which was children. Yeah. Which I swore I would never do at the hotline. They said, "What's the one thing that would upset you too much?" Because some people they don't want to talk to the drug addicts, and some people don't want to yeah. talk to these people. Who would you? I said, "Oh God, if it was somebody's baby with it, I don't think I could handle that." And then I wound up working full time handling wow. babies with AIDS and arranging funerals for five year olds. So that's because mm. that's where I went. I went. Oh, apparently that's where the need is because it is terrible. So, yeah. well, um, my name was out there, you know, and we there'd be these people talking about what if we formed a group because it was like lawyers and doctors and shrinks and activists and there was a guy who was like an attorney general in Wyoming and it was we're arresting the people for the crime and we're getting them to court and we got the witness to testify and we got the kid to tell and we got this to happen and this to happen and this to happen the doctor did it and this did that and this person did their job and we even got them convicted but then they didn't go to jail at all, and they went home with the victim, and the kid's still living with the guy who molested them, and he's not in jail. So what did we all just do wrong? <laughs> it wasn't that he got away with it, he didn't get arrested. It wasn't that he, he was convicted. In fact, he stood up in court and said he did it. Why, why, why is it? What the hell? And they found it through incest exceptions and bizarre loopholes in laws that were just insane that were causing people who had sexually abused their children to be able to go home with the child they abused and not go to prison. Ridiculous, and and even and other and the statute of limitation things. Oh, has it been twenty minutes? I'm sorry, you can't press charges. So it got very weird. And they said, "What if we fix that? What if we legislatively we realize there are laws about child abuse that aren't working? We're attacking it from every angle. What if it was attacked on the legislative level, the criminal level? What a thought! So we have this thing. We're asking a bunch of people to be on the board. Want to be on the board? Yes. Um, then. Uh, poor Greer, who was asked, our executive director, and, and I realized he knew that some of the people on the list he'd been given were survivors and some weren't, and he didn't want to ask. And I was like, I could hear him hemming and hawing. And so finally I said, I'm not just president of the hair club for men, I'm also a member. And said, yes, I, I, I was, I'm one of the people who's abused. You can check that box. But I hadn't gone public. And I knew that when I signed up, they didn't ask me to go. I said, oh, no, no, we, didn't, we don't need, you know, just a little house in the prairie is fine. Just put you on the letterhead. But I knew eventually... 
push would come to shove. Because all, yeah. when I was working in AIDS, we had celebrities who would not get involved with AIDS Project Los Angeles or any AIDS charity or wear the red. They wouldn't wear the red ribbon. Remember when they yeah. wouldn't wear the red oh, ribbon? Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't wear that. They wouldn't because they said someone will ask me back then, of course, why are you doing this? Do you have AIDS? Are you gay? And if they were gay and not out, or they had AIDS and weren't telling anyone, they couldn't, they had to sit there and go, uh, no comment. And, you know, yeah. they had to lie bald faced or say no comment, which means yes. Yeah. And they knew. They were like, no what? comment always means yes. No comment always means yes. No it means, comment, it's always yes. No, no comment means yes and a bunch of worse things than even the thing you just asked me. That's yes. what no comment means. Yeah. It means it's so bad. I can't, I can't even say no, it's so bad. I can't even say no, it's so terrible because then, yeah. So it's like the worst thing you said. So they, it was awful. So people who wanted to help couldn't because they went, I, I, I can't because I'm, I'm one of these people and I can't talk about it. And I remember going, man, if I was gay, I'd tell everybody. If I was had AIDS, I'd tell everybody. And my friends who were gay, my friends who had AIDS said, yeah, well, when the shoe's on your foot, we'll hear, we'll, we'll see about that. They said, you're right. The right thing to do is that. And many of us have been brave and come forward. But it's really, really hard when it's you. Yeah. Just saying. And I went, yeah, okay, you're right. You're right. You have a point. They said, if it's you, it's a little, you may not, it's pretty scary. They said, absolutely, some of us have done it, but, you know. And I said, you have a point. So. They come to me and said, we're going to think you'll be talking about child abuse. Well, now I knew perfectly well I'm a girl. So the media is going to say, oh, Allison, so do you have a personal connection to this issue? Yeah. Were you sexually abused? They're going to ask. And I knew that eventually if I did anything, they would ask, and I would have to say, yes, no, no comment. Um, right, no yes, comment. No, right. It's even worse than that. I yeah. was actually going to have to come out of the closet. Yeah. Or it is a closet. Say, uh, okay, I thought no. And I thought, okay, well, this bud's for you, pal. And I said, okay, the shoe is now on the other foot. And I thought of all my dead friends, all my friends who died of AIDS, who said, okay, Miss Smarty Pants Brave, yeah, you think we should all come out about being gay and come out having AIDS. If somebody came to you with something you were sensitive about, yeah, all right. And I went, well, they're right. And it is hard. And I went, well, I would be a big, big, scary, fat hypocrite if I then said, oh, no, I'm going to take on this cause, but I can't do it because, well, I can't talk about the thing that's about me that <laughs> right. I was sexually no comment. Oh, no, no comment. I'm not going to talk about my personal life. They would come back from the dead and fucking haunt me, and they would be right. So um, <laughs> I said, wow, I guess I'm going to be talking about this. So I said, yes, okay, the answer is yes, blah, 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 and I made my piece. Then, of course, I didn't have to go public, but then we went to Sacramento, where they had this big exception in the law in California, where if you sexually assaulted your own child, if it was the neighbor's kid, you might get 20 years, but if it was your own kid, you could get deferred entry of judgment and never go to jail, and it was insane. So we, we changed it. Well, there were politicians who liked the law the way it was. A lot of times, um, if you were a defense lawyer, you could get the same money and say, just plead guilty because you're not going to jail, woo-hoo, and cash your check. And if you were a prosecutor, you could say, I have a 100% conviction rate. Oh, none of them went to jail, but I have a 100% conviction rate because all 100 of them pled guilty because they knew I was going to let them leave and go home. Oh, wow. And so p there were people, not particularly nice people, but people who thought that was a great idea that could get back to their golf game. So it was very heavily supported. And then, of course, obviously, duh, people who were actually child predators, child molesters, and their attorneys thought it was fantastic law because you didn't go to jail for raping children. So it was a popular, horrible law because the worst kind of people liked it. So, of course, yeah. it stayed for a long time. And we were coming in and saying, no, no, we don't want you to do that anymore. And it was a big deal. So it became a fight. 
and this lovely guy, Senator Batten, and he helped. So I wound up being outed by Senator Batten on the Senate floor, basically. Allison Arngroom, who, and then I wound up speaking. So I was, and then, so I was outed in Sacramento. Now the whole world didn't know, but all of Sacramento knew. Yeah. Not that they cared, because as they said, we really don't care, and we had to really fight them. But then, because they didn't care, I went on CNN. Harlan got me onto Larry King, and then I went on Larry King and Harlan, talked about it. And then everybody suddenly cared a great deal. Or as the woman in Sacramento said to me, "No one in Sacramento gives a shit that you were molested." That is quote unquote. By that's direct quote. Wow, that's very uh, governmental. I was like, mm, my tax dollars. But that's work. interesting. How that's you're, you're, that's sort of my same journey as an intersex person, right? right? Where I I came first. I told all my friends and family. Then mm-hmm, I came mm-hmm. out on the air and discussed it here a few times on the show but still kind of nobody cared until it actually went up in print somewhere and then exactly and then it suddenly then it was a big deal because then when cnn talked about it, and then it was a very big deal but it also worked because uh, being on cnn suddenly everyone was phoning their legislator in sacramento and going you did what and suddenly it became a very big deal and we did wind up getting our law passed and it was lovely um but it was funny because i later went back to sacramento and People were like, can I get you a cup of coffee? And I was like, oh, my, you give a shit now, don't you, dear? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was. I wound up coming, going very, 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 very public about something I was not going to go public about. But I had a reason. It wasn't, it wasn't because, oh, I feel I want to go public for me. I was doing it because it was to the benefit of the organization, the law, yeah. and these other people. It was, I had no stake in it. I, nothing was going to happen. I was so far past the statute of limitations. Nobody was going to go to jail in my world because this law got passed. Yeah, it was for the other several hundred thousand people. So I feel the same way because I thought, you know what? By the time I came out as intersex, I was already look. I'm a character actress. I'm a fat woman. I was in my forties. No one's going to cast me to be Tom Cruise's wife in something. Mm-hmm. If somebody's freaked out because I'm not female enough or not male enough or not not, not gender neutral enough, who cares? But somebody out there needs me to be the person who talks yeah. about it so they can talk so they can feel okay in themselves yeah yeah exactly you weren't like oh my god this is a burning desire if i don't tell people i'm intersex no. you could you, you but care. i only thought it was important to tell people i slept with yeah because i didn't think people should then later find out surprise although one of my best friends is my ex-boyfriend and he, we were together when i found out we'd already been together <gasps> wow. for years and he was wonderful he didn't yeah. care um but you know probably there were people that might have cared at some point but they were already out of my life but i felt like look i'm not going to approach a new relationship without telling someone but see that's now interesting because i was that way about having been sexually abused and i know there were people i mean i saw women who went public and went on tv and they said oh yeah i just told my husband this morning before the interview and I'm yeah. like, yikes ow and i would be that would freak me out because obviously for me if i was entering into a romantic sexual relationship with someone oh by the way hi ptsd this thing happened to me that could completely impact everything that we're doing in my relationship my life yeah it, i would it's kind of important so yeah that's well, it's kind of important when you're married to somebody or, or involved with somebody to tell them everything about you is yeah it? Well, see that's a can thing. you imagine in, keeping something like that secret from somebody and you're, you know they do and that's I know. the darndest thing i know people I know. married for years and it's like they're strangers the things that people haven't told each other after 10 15 20 years of marriage it boggles the mind it i does. don't know how they do it because bob and i we do we sit around and go 
there's people who don't tell each other stuff. Like, we're well, like I think amazed. they probably don't have the same kind of connection in a relationship the two of you have. They have a totally I tell my best friends everything, but I know people that don't tell anybody anything. And I'm like, are you going to explode on the inside? Like, right. how, do you, how does that don't end? Don't we need other people to bounce things off of? Isn't that the human connection? I find that. And I've been encouraging people, people who are saying, well, I'm a, I said, you don't have to go public, public. And I tell people, if you are going to go on TV, you want backup. I mean, please. Yeah. I had like teams of shrinks and lawyers and people with stretchers sure. waiting for for me, I mean, I was—I had so much backup. I wasn't like traipsing into the studio by myself. Harlan was there, my publicist. Yeah, it was me, wonderful that he sense. went with you. Yeah. So I was—it wasn't like oh, I just do this on the spur of the moment. I had like people on speed dial. It was ridiculous. So, and I encourage anyone who's trying to do that: you have a plan in place. You're not just spontaneously popping off on TV. Sure. You have backup, and you know, okay, what if this goes south? You have a plan. You have people. Yeah. So, you know, you have, and you're going to feel crappy later. So you're going to go home and take a nap. But. You want to talk to people when it comes to your friends. and t- Yes, talking about it is much better than not talking about it. So anyway, well, Protect It kind of did well. So we now have this thing, the National Association to Protect Children, and we do some stuff uh, legislatively at the state level. There's a thing, um, Alicia's Law. And that has to do with the whole um, Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force and Wonderful. Child Pornography. And we uh, do stuff at the federal level because the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force and all these law enforcement entities that track the traffickers, the child pornographers, the people who make child porn and trade child porn, all of these people, they're the ones who are on the Internet going, oh, there he is, beep, you know, there's the pictures. And doing this stuff and breaking these, you, you'll see stuff on the news where a ring is broken, they'll arrest some guy, and then they'll announce, oh, we arrested 37 other people in six states and two in Denmark and one in Russia and one in Brazil. And you're like, the hell was that? That's that's the ring. Yeah, they, because they were on a club online, and once they got one, the others fell. And what it is is people, some of whom I've actually met, who are sitting in rooms with these big TV screens and 8 million computers doing this stuff for the Internet Crimes Against Children. I love that story. And so these very cool people. So, But they, they have to get paid. And they're under, they're actually under the auspices, interestingly enough, of ICE, of uh, the whole immigration customs and, yeah, because it's the law enforcement. It's very strange. The whole internet is like, it's like a border. Um, so they get, they get federal funding and state funding. So we fight to make sure they get more of their federal funding and state funding so these guys have paychecks. But we also started a thing called the Hero Corps, where people who've come back from um, Iraq, um, Iraq and Afghanistan and maybe have been wounded in battle and say, eh, I can't go back to my old job because I lost a leg, perhaps, or I can't do that. And they need work. Now, they know how to hunt, and they're not scared of much at this point. Yeah. So we have a program where they can sign up and go into a training where they will train with officers and learn about child abuse, learn about child porn, learn about the internet, learn about criminal forensics, all of this stuff, and then be make an internship with the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force with the police who are tracking these guys, and then ultimately many of them get hired by these teams. And we're, this gets the ICAC more manpower, and not just any manpower, but men and women highly trained super manpower that they really need, freeing up the officers to go make the arrests, et cetera, et cetera. And it gets a bunch of people who are veterans who desperately need fulfilling, real, serious work. Yeah. Just that. It's and wonderful. So Being every, in service. It's everybody's happy. So we're making that happy. And it's called, we have a thing called the uh, Weiss Center for Child Rescue Technology because, okay, the child pornographers and traffickers are like two jumps ahead with encrypting files. 
what if there was a place just dedicated to creating the tech and the software to fight that? Code crackers. Oh, look, we have one. Ta-da. Isn't that um, wonderful? And we help get the stuff to law enforcement. It's all very clever and very high tech and very fabulous. And we're doing it. And it's and I'm on the board, and we do amazing, incredible things. It's wonderful. Protect.org. Protect, protect.org. Please visit Protect.org. You're we amazing. You. Will you come back and do this with me again? I would of course. Love of course. Um, where can people find you online? Everywhere. Um, I am on Facebook. I'm on Facebook a couple of times, actually. I'm Allison Arngram. There's the Allison Arngram fan page, big book cover. Um, there's the uh, Allison M. Arngram for mostly French people in overflow. There's a French one, too. There's an Allison Arngram all in French page. But I'm on Facebook. I'm Allison Arngram. So easy to find. I'm, uh, I am on Twitter at, at Arngram. I have a blue check. I have a blue check because I didn't have a blue Fantastic. check. William Shatner sent me this, was following me on Twitter. Go figure. And William Shatner made some Nellie Olson crack. And I was like, oh, ha, ha. And we started talking. And then he said something about getting me something for my birthday. And I'm like, William Shatner's getting me a birthday. I'm so confused. And then I woke up one morning. I had a blue check by my name. Oh, that's wonderful. And William Shatner said, happy birthday. We should all have a friend like William Shatner. William Shatner. James Tiberius Kirk got Nellie Olson verified on Twitter. That's fantastic. That's the best story ever. So I'm on Twitter. I'm on on everything. I'm on Snapchat. I'm on on, uh, Instagram. I'm on everything in the world. Wonder. And if you missed any of that, um, RaisingTheVibrationRadio.com. Also, uh, SheenaMetal.com. That's where I am. LATalkRadio.com. And the new movement of peace, love, kindness, and unity. It's called I Am Raising the Vibration of the Nation and the World. We're at IAmRaisingTheVibration.com. On social media, I'm at SheenaMetal everywhere. And the movement is at I Am Raising. And on Instagram, at I Am Raising It. It's Raising the Vibration right here on LA Talk Radio. Uh, every Monday from 7 to 9 p.m., we ask this simple question. What are you doing to make the world a better place? And I have wonderful people that are coming on every week and telling us just that. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening so much. I love you all, and I'll see you next time right here on Raising the Vibration Radio. You're listening to Raising the Vibration with Sheena Metal only on L.A. Talk Radio.